0: Hey, everybody out there, Chad Belling with another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. Today we have a very special guest, actually hails from pretty much the same area of the country that I was born and raised, grew up in, Reno, Nevada, Mr. Remy Warren. You guys have heard of Remy on all kinds of things when it comes to outdoor riding, conservation, outdoor television. He's part of the uh, solo bowhunter crew, the Apex Predator crew. He had a show called The Apex Predator that was on the outdoor channel the sportsman's network sportsman's group network outdoor sportsman's network and um, he's been all over a bunch of different tv shows including meat eater with steven ranella he's been on the joe rogan experience podcast you name it he's done it at a young age the guy's accomplished a lot in the outdoors in hunting in conservation traveling all over he owns an outfitting service in montana he guides in new zealand I, I'm going to learn a lot today as well. But Remy Warren, welcome, my man.
1: Yeah, thanks. It was good. Glad to be here.
0: And I'm glad you're here too. And you, it's not often you're in Reno for a, a long amount, you know, long extended amount of time, right?
1: No, not not normally. Um, I mean, it's where I live, you know. So I always come home. And uh, now that I'm married, I spend a little bit more time here. Um, but yeah, we're, we're always traveling. Like. Either I'm working somewhere or my wife's with me or when she's working, you know, I might be guiding or doing some other stuff. So I still travel quite
0: a bit. Quite a bit. And the, one of the things that I've learned about you is you, you associate the word nomad with you. Is there a difference between the word nomad and the word gypsy when it comes to the life that you live? As far as I know, there's different connotations that are associated with the word gypsy, but a lot of people always look at a lifestyle like what you lead or what I might lead, of bouncing around all over the world, all over the country, chasing animals, pursuing our passion. And a lot goes into that passion, and we're going to get into that today. But is there a difference in nomad and gypsy? And if there is, what is it? Uh,
1: I, don't, I don't really know. They're probably very similar. I always kind of just referred to nomad as because nomadic hunters. is like you'd move where the game is. It's not... You're, you're choosing where you live based on what's around you. So that's kind of how I always lived. I mean, for the longest time, I didn't have, I mean, I called Reno my home, but I didn't have a home. I just kind of lived out of my truck or would go over to New Zealand for three months and live random places there. So I just never had, like, anything tying me down to one place. I just kind of essentially hunt year-round and just move around the country wherever seasons are open.
0: And so, in a lot of ways, it is like being a gypsy. I mean, you're bouncing around. You're living on maybe one guy's couch here, and then you're in a trailer or a camper here. And and you, I, I just was. I've always wondered, like, is gypsy a negative form of of the nomadic culture, as far as being able to adjust and adapt and move around where the animals are, and it, it, as far as being a nomadic hunter, it seems though to to really reach that level of nomadic it's more than just pulling back a bow or squeezing the trigger and where I'm going with that Remy you tell me if you if you agree or not is that your style of hunting is is different because it's more than the kill it's 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 about the experience which I love that part about what your content is and the message that you deliver on a daily basis but talk to me a little bit Remy Warren about um, that state of mind that nomadic state of mind and what like I, I hear these things like people talk about remy warren and how he can study thermals and how he can he's he knows the mountains different than other hunters he understands what the herd's doing different than other hunters is it true or is it something that just caught on with you because somebody called you nomadic so they automatically associated those attributes to you or do you really study the animal and the mountains and the thermals that much to where you're on a different level
1: oh no i mean i envelop myself in wherever i'm at uh it's not just going there and doing it's going there and just being a part of it for me so there's there's places where i'll go on a backpack hunt and just stay out there for a month and just i mean i will know that area like the back of my hand i'll know what the animals are going to do before they know that they're going to do it and it's just from spending so much time watching them so much really studying animals and just essentially living in the outdoors you really gain a different perspective than people just going out there to recreate for a few days. I mean, the most I've spent out hunting in one year was three. I think it was like 300 and was it 323 days in one year out in the field hunting in the mountains. So it's like you're out there all the time. That's where you live. You just, you start to pick up things and notice things that other people don't. And then between combination of that and guiding when I'm guiding, you know, you can't make any mistakes because when you make a mistake, that might be your one opportunity for the week so you really have to pay attention you start learning things and and noticing things that other people might not pick up on
0: so give me an idea like when you talk about things that my, other people might not pick up on you as an outfitter as a guide you you get a phone call from a a party that might not necessarily spend as many days in the woods or in the mountains that you do they're relying on you your keen senses your instincts your intelligence your experiences of that certain rate, whether you're chasing a sheep or an elk or a mule deer whatever it is you you are saying that you can go into an area is it have to be an area that you've studied and been in for a long time? Or can you go into a lot of different areas in the same general season and just pick up on things right away? Can, does that happen? Is it, is it become second nature to you?
1: Yeah. Most of it, like a lot of the places that I go or for, if I'm filming solo hunters or other stuff, it might be a place that I've never been and I might have three or four days to hunt there, but I can go in there and hunt it as well as a lot of people that have, hunted there their whole life only because I've spent so much time doing that same thing other places. It doesn't really matter where it is. Um, you know, it's, I kind of have a formula for the way that I hunt and every animal different. Every type of terrain's different, but you just get into enough different situations and you kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work really.
0: So 323 or let's say 320 days, that leaves 45 days in a calendar year that you were not in the mountains. I assume you were probably doing something down in the city, probably getting ready, probably getting gear ready. Probably every day of your life is wrapped around the outdoors and hunting. To be to get to this level that we're talking about of this nomadic hunter, to be able to understand the animal, to know what the animals are going to do before the animals even know what they're going to do, does it is it something that's God-given or was it something that... Through your childhood, and I know your dad was heavily into big game hunting. He still is. I know your brothers work with you, for you. They hunt alongside of you quite a bit. A lot of your friends, um, some of the same inner circle that we both run with talk about this. Is it something that you learned along the way following your dad in the mountains of Nevada, Montana, on your own properties? Or is it something that was you came out of your mom's womb knowing you? You, you know, you're a wild animal when you were born?
1: Yeah, I think I've just been obsessed with it ever since I was born. It's like I could never get enough hunting. Even on my first deer tag, I'd never I didn't want to shoot the first deer. Like I just started passing up deer because I didn't want the hunt to be over. I just wanted to be out there longer and longer and kept pushing it and pushing it. And any time that I had the opportunity to go out hunting, it wasn't, Oh, I I'd better shoot something. Otherwise I might not get something. For me it was if I shoot something then the hunt's over and I didn't like that. That's a cool I didn't way like to look it at. to end. Like I hate when the hunt ends. That's You know, so I, so my whole life was just revolved around figuring out ways to stay out hunting longer, just completely obsessed with it. And I think the thing that pushed me the most was a lot of the, a lot of it was I couldn't find people to go out hunting with me all the time. So doing a lot of hunting alone, hunting by myself and hunting solo. And that really pushed as far as me becoming a better hunter, I think.
0: When you talk about hunting solo and I want to get into the solo bow hunter and how you do that and with what I do with our entities it's it's amazing to me what you guys pull off being alone like it's it's something that if people really put their thumb on it and look into it and investigate it and really break it down it's so hard to do what you guys are doing and by no means am I trying to turn it into brain surgery but to be able to have the patience it takes to do do what you guys do on solo we're going to get into that but when you're when you're talking about all these days spent alone in the mountains, in the woods, it's refreshing, it's therapeutic, it's a lot of time to think. But have you gotten now, as you start to mature into your mid-30s, have you gotten to a point at all, Remy, to where you want to be in camp with more people, you want to be experiencing these experiences with more people and sharing them, or do you still love taking these 10 mile hikes on your own up to elevations of 10,000 feet and breathing in God's air and looking at views that only a hunter knows about, or do you, are you getting to the point in your life to where you'd rather have people around now?
1: Um, you know, it's always been a mix for me though, cause I spend a lot of my time guiding as well. So I'm always with other people and now I like to take, um, you know, go on trips with my brother, or my dad or, and take my wife out hunting. So I still get to do a lot of hunts with people I always have, but I still enjoy those trips where I just go out on my own and just by myself.
0: What what is the main reason though? Like what are you getting being by yourself? Is it is is it is it needed in your brain and your psyche that I have to be alone in the mountains to really find myself, to really get back to my roots and you it, a hunter's always evolving, he's always getting back to what got him there that's i think that's one of the coolest things about being a hunter a gatherer conservation is we're always thinking what got us there yeah what our roots are and when i'm alone and i don't get to spend a lot of time alone because duck hunting is more of a socializing social event right you're in the duck blind you're laughing you're cutting it up you don't have to worry about your scent you can be a little bit noisier until you see ducks you can cook bacon in the duck blind it's a little bit different than what you're doing um but I love getting back to it in those long drives in the truck across the back roads of America or down through, you know, just through it, just being around that, uh, in that truck alone, I'm always, it gets me back to why I'm doing it. And I always go back to what my dad always taught me is that hunting is a lot more than just the kill. And I know that you, that you practice that, but is, is there a reason that you pinpoint why you like doing it alone sometimes?
1: Um, I think it's, it's kind of just a reset for me, but it's also, I like that instantaneous decision making. You don't have to like debate what you're going to do. You just do what feels right. And to me, that feels like the most natural form of hunting. Like it's, it's very instinctual. You don't have to go through like a conversation process. You don't have to go through a debate process. You don't have to explain why you want to do that. You just do what feels like you should do. So it's just, to me, it's more in like, it feels very instinctual. It's like, Oh, this! It feels like I'm I'm hunting, and it that's the way I like to hunt, I guess.
0: So when you're when you're doing these hunts, whether you're with somebody or when you outfit, is it 100% archery hunts or do you outfit for rifle hunts? Oh, uh,
1: rifle and archery. Yeah. And work.
0: now, personally, are you 100% archer?
1: No, I'll, I'll do rifle hunts. I'll do any kind of hunts. I'm I'm like a pure hunter. I'll get. I mean, I bird hunt a lot. I rifle hunt. I I'll use any weapon. It, I mean, whatever. Whatever is legal and whatever the season is, I'll, I'll go for it.
0: So when you get around a guy, let's say maybe like John Dudley, have you hung out with Dudley? Yeah. Do you guys ever like butt heads in a fun way about, because I know he's so diehard archery and with knock on and everything. I don't know John very well. I've met him one time through Traeger, maybe twice. I don't even know if he ever shoots a gun, but do you ever get around those purists to where you just kind of giggle and go, Hey man, hunting's hunting. Because a lot of times you hear, well, a real hunter can get closer than a 400 yard shot on a ram or a mule deer. I rifle hunt when I've all the animals that I've ever um, harvested in the western United States have been with a rifle. Um, do you ever butt heads? Do you ever, is there ever any arguments about what, about a pure archer? Does they ever come off to you like, hey man, just chill out and just listen to my argument on this?
1: No, not really. I mean, I think, um, I, mean, I would consider myself a bow hunter. Most of my hunts are bow hunts. Um, I'm extremely passionate about bow hunting. So, I mean, in my core, I would consider myself a bow hunter, but I don't think there's anything wrong with rifle hunting. And I also I've done enough hunts where most of the rifle hunts that I do are way harder than the bow hunts I do. And I think that a lot of people that bow hunt are like, well, it's rifle hunting's too easy, but it just depends on the hunt that you're doing, you know, a general season elk tag on public land. Most of the time the rifle season's way harder because the season's later, it's not during the rut. So I mean for me it's a lot easier to get in on elk with a bow than it is during rifle season because sometimes it's hard to even just find the animals. Or you go into a like a general unit in Idaho for mule deer with a rifle tag. It's the worst possible season to find something. And then when I have a rifle in my hand I'm looking for an even more mature animal than I would with a bow. So that adds an added challenge. So whatever kind of hunter you are you just got to hunt to what you think is fun and what you're into um you know for me if it's not challenging enough then I add some kind of challenge for myself I look for a bigger deer or I hunt an area where there's fewer animals and and so it's always me going out there testing myself and pushing myself to hunt harder um whether it's with a rifle or a bow or a muzzleloader, or whatever it doesn't matter
0: with that being said Remy, is there a instant to where there's a too far of a shot with a rifle meaning that if you are in an area and you're challenging yourself and you're looking for a, maybe a 370 mature bull or a 195 inch 200 inch mule deer which is very very hard to do uh, in my opinion I think that the oh, yeah. mule deer might be the hardest trophy to find I've talked to a lot of pretty experienced and pretty qualified big game hunters that would agree with that not that it's hard not hard to go after a dollar a stone and and, and and scale those mountains but a trophy mule deer is tough so Going back to what you said, you're challenging yourself. You're in an area. There might it might be a a more difficult time of the season. The bulls or the mule deer aren't in the rut. They're not as dumb. They're not as you know, crazy in their head. Is there a shot that's too far or unethical? Maybe in your opinion, with a rifle. And where I'm going with this, Remy, is this long distance shooting? This this thousand yard, twelve hundred yard shooting at a. I don't care if it's a coyote, and I don't care if it's a three eighty bull. Is there an ethics question that comes in in your opinion at all? With a rifle, is there a shot that's
1: too far? Uh, I mean, a shot that's too far is a shot that's too far for you to take. You know, I mean, it depends on your equipment, and if you know that you can make the shot, and you've practiced, and you know how your rifle performs, and you can, you know, I mean, really, the only difference between shooting far and shooting close is like you you put the crosshair exactly where you want on both. It's just whether your math's right or not. So it depends how good you are. Doping your rifle and doing your calculations, um, you know. I mean, there's some stuff that's like, okay, that's a that's a really far shot. But if you have the right equipment and the skills to do it, I don't think it. It's there is too far. I mean, one guy's too far could be a hundred yards, and another guy's too far could be twelve hundred yards. I don't, you know, I don't really know. It's probably up to the person, really.
0: So, is it still hunting if you can only get within a thousand yards of the animal that you're pursuing? Is that still considered a a fair chase and i know legally it is but ethically is it still fair chase and is it still hunting if you're not trying to close the gap to maybe 400 yards
1: Yeah, that's a good question i mean you know what's the difference i'm kind of like for me i don't try to tell people how to hunt you know i'm just go out there and hunt to your ability and what you enjoy because when you come down to it it's really a personal thing between you the animals and the environment that you're in So if you're the type of person that likes to shoot far and that's what you enjoy doing and you're good at it, you know, you're better at shooting than you are at stalking, then that's fine. If that's, you know, that's, that's your hunt, you know, I'm not going to go and tell you how to hunt. Um, For me, I'd I'd prefer to just try to get close. I mean, I have rifles that I can shoot a thousand yards, no problem, but i never shoot anything that far. You know, I shoot stuff at 300 yards or less 99% of the time. Some, most of the time within 150 yards because it's exciting it's fun it's like that's the challenge of it that's to me that's what hunting is you know and that's for me i like to get in i like to test my skills against their skills and and get within that range where they can smell you and they can spot you and and you know try to you know trick their natural ability to evade you so if you're further range sometimes it's more just like practicing shooting it's more just like shooting than actual hunting in my opinion. But, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to tell somebody what they what they should do and what they shouldn't do.
0: And I respect that. And I just always look at the ethics part of it. Now, uh, one step further, and I'll leave this subject alone, Remy, is whether it's a 300-yard shot or a 1,200-yard shot, and you know you hit that animal. You got a spotter in a scope or in a spotting scope or in some really high-powered binoculars, and you know that that animal was hit. You get up to it. You might find a blood trail. You might not. You give it the due amount of time to to expire. You don't find the animal. Ethically, what is the right thing to do in this situation as a big game hunter, and, I, and particularly anywhere in the country? But let's just stay out west. Mule deer season, elk season. You know you hit an animal, but you don't find it. You look for it the next morning. You don't find it. What is the right thing to do in that instance, in your opinion, ethically? And then to compare that to the legalities of it, is it legal to go after another animal if you put in the due amount of time to find your animal that you know you hit, whether you found blood or not?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I've always thought, if I know that I killed that animal, that's my animal. And I either look till I find it or that's it. Um, I mean, there's been hunts where I've spent the whole season... Uh, one hunt when I was younger, I, I was, well, actually, let's see, it was quite a few years ago, I shot a buck with my bow. It was a big buck, and I thought, oh, I, I heart shot it, like perfect. And it went down into this drainage, and this was with my bow, and I like didn't find the deer. I went to one of the guys that owned some property down below, and I was like, hey man, I shot this buck. If you see it, let me know. And uh, never heard and. I mean, I looked for five or six days just all day. And I'm like, I know I killed this deer. Never found the deer. And then, you know, I pretty much gave up on, the, like, wasn't going to go out and shoot another deer. I mean, I walked past other big deer while looking for this deer. And, uh, and then the the, day, the evening before the last day of the season, I was in the grocery store. And someone was like, how oh, did you see this deer this other person shot? I was like, no, let me see a picture. And it turns out it was the buck that I'd hit when after I'd hit it it like walked down on this guy's place and then he called someone else and they came up and shot it when it was like laying there with a rifle and tagged it. I was like, "Well, shit." <laughs> 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 that sucks. It would've been nice if they would have told me. Um and then I went out and shot another deer because that deer had died and I had one last day and I ended up getting like a really big uh wide 3 by 3 But you know, I was fully committed. It was a really good tag. It was a tag that I waited a long time for. And I was fully committed to going home empty, knowing that I'd shot that other deer, even though afterwards I found out that someone else shot it too. So,
0: so it brings up, it it brings up a question to me when you're talking about, it's the final day of the season and you were, you know, you're experienced and you're, you're a good enough hunter to get that three by three and have another opportunity, which that's, that, that's, A big time feat to go out there on the last time, you know, the last day of the season when you think your season's over because you've cashed in your chips because you thought you killed this other buck. Um, If you don't find that pretty reasonable size three by three, which a three by three can be a trophy, it's probably not going to score well. It's not going to be a boon and crog a buck could be. I don't know a lot about the scoring system. Um, I don't even know if you can score a three by three for Boone and Crockett. Can you?
1: Oh yeah. This was like, this was like a Boone and Crockett size three by three. So giant. Okay.
0: So what if it's a, what if it's a 22 inch wide shit buck? Do you kill it for food? Because I know, and I want to get into this later where we can get into it now, but are you, are you hunting for the table at that point?
1: Yeah. Just honestly, like it just depends. If it feels right for me, then that's, you know, every hunt's different. One hunt I might go and, and pass up deer and then the next hunt I might go and, shoot deer that I would have passed up on a different hunt. So for me, it just depends on where I'm at. Um, I don't know. It just kind of depends on the, the whole experience. Like, does it feel time to shoot a deer now? Is that the deer that I want? Um, I put a lot of thought into it. So it depends every, every instance, every hunt is different for me, but for the most part, yeah. I mean, if it came down to it, it was like, man, my freezer's getting a little lean. Yeah. I would definitely shoot any buck or any legal deer that came by, on that last day or toward the end. And some hunts, I do that in the beginning. So it just really depends on where I'm at, what I'm doing. Um, yeah, every, everything, like for me, there's no hard and fast rule. It's, it's just kind of dependent on the hunt and the trip and the whole experience itself.
0: So th- when your your answer right there, the word that came to mind was intimacy to me. Like you're, you're, you're becoming very, um, attached to every hunt. Every hunt's going to serve a different purpose with you. You're, it's like you're, everything is well thought out in your approach and in, and in, your, in, in how you present your entire hunt. Like it's, it's a big deal to you to do it right. It seems to me, like listening to you talk, that the hunt is going to be planned. It's going to be well thought out because you don't want to cut corners. You want to give that animal that you're pursuing and hopefully harvesting, if you're lucky, and, 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 and get a shot at it. You want to give them the due respect that they deserve, right? That animal deserves compassion and respect. And talk to me a little bit about that word, intimacy and compassion. And am I on to something there in the heart of a hunter? Is it okay not to be compassionate about the hunters or or about the animal we pursue? Or should we always be compassionate about those animals that we're out there trying to quote unquote kill?
1: I mean, for me, like a good hunt is like a hard hunt or something that I feel like I've earned. I feel like if I'm going to take an animal, then I, then I should have earned it in some way and show it some kind of respect. So if, if you don't show the animal, animal respect, then to me, you aren't really a true hunter. Like I, I consider myself an elk hunter or a mule deer hunter. And if there were no mule deer or there were no elk, I could not be an elk hunter or a mule deer hunter. Like what I feel that I am. So I, I owe those animals a lot of respect. Um, that's why I'm so big into conservation because, you know, if, if there were no more wetlands or there were no more ducks, you cannot be a duck hunter, you know? And so if, if you all you want to do is kill every duck, well, what happens when you've killed the last one? You know, you don't get to be, then you aren't really a duck hunter, are you? So. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like,
0: 100%, So you're, you're saying that, um conservation and and hunters and everything that we do, the kill is part of it. Yes, we do take animals out of the ecosystem. There's no doubt about it. But with what you're saying is what I talk about a lot is, has any anti ever really sat down to really learn what hunters do financially and sweat equity wise in the wetlands in the nwtf in the rmef in nbu here in nevada mule deer foundation quail unlimited pheasants unlimited you name it there's an agency out there a conservation group of hunters well like-minded people not everybody that is a member of ducks unlimited pulls a trigger every year um Talk to me a little bit about that. The heart of a hunter goes way beyond just having compassion for that one animal that we're hunting because year round we're working for different agencies that, that put their efforts and their financial support into different habitat and different you know, groups of animals, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, nothing makes me more happy than the areas that I hunt having an abundance of animals to hunt you know, like a well-managed area, and a good habitat where they can live and thrive and grow to their best potential, and then I go in there and kill one. And it's like if you, if you don't understand that whole principle of, yeah, I'm killing one, but it, I'm also benefiting the species as a whole. So it's a kind of an interesting balance that hunters take on where, yeah, we're stewards of the land, but we're also a part of it. We're, we're predators in the landscape that we live in. Um, And I like being that part of nature. I like being an active participant, not just an observer. Like a bird watcher goes to the marsh and watches the birds, but he doesn't have the same interaction that a duck hunter has. Like I would say most bird hunters don't understand like the habits of the birds or the intricacies of the birds or... I mean, it sounds weird, but, yeah, the animals that I kill, I have the utmost respect for because I'm invested in that entire ecosystem. Like, I'm now putting myself as a part of a predator, and they are the prey, just like the wolf would chase the elk, I chase the elk. So, you know, I become a part of that ecosystem as opposed to just a, per, a bystander just standing back looking and going like, oh, this is pretty, this is nice. No, I, I involve myself in the entire process, and it's like a very... It's a very, um, I'd say, deep process, but also, like, a very cool process that, you know, as a human, this is how we got to where we are today, being hunters, living in this environment, and being a natural predator. And so I like that primal instinct, that primal feeling of being a part and providing for myself, and I think that that's something that hunters have that, you know, other users of whatever, like, public lands or whatever, don't have.
0: And when you say that primal attitude, it doesn't matter to you. I want to stress this again: is that the form of hunting isn't as important to you as long as it's carried out right and respectful and compassionate. Rifle,
1: yeah, rifle, bow, bow, shotgun, shotgun, whatever. Yeah. I mean, there's been like deer hunts where I've been hunting looking for a certain size buck, and then there's one hunt in New Mexico. It, It took me forever to draw this tag. I draw the tag. I'm driving around. There's a buck standing there 40 yards off the road. I step out of the truck. I draw my bow back. I put the pin right there. It's standing there broadside. And I just let down, get back in the truck and drive off. And I, and then because I just didn't want to kill that deer that way. You know, it was just for me, I wanted to, to hunt the deer and stalk it and outsmart it. But then there's been other hunts where that kind of opportunity would be awesome. <laughs> You're like dreaming of that kind of opportunity. But, you know, in that moment. That just wasn't the right deer. And so I think that a lot of people are probably like that. Like they have a way that they like to hunt. And that's almost more important than taking an animal sometimes. For me, that happens. It's like, you know, and and it changes throughout situations and other things. When I was in high school, I duck hunted all the time. I would only shoot a Drake bird that I knew that I called in. Like if one just flew by, I just wouldn't even shoot it. Now, like I'll shoot a couple hens and a Drake and whatever, because... I just want the the meat or you know I don't shoot as many ducks as I used to so it completely changes now I just go out try to shoot some birds when before I used to try to trick birds you know so I think it's a very it should be a personal experience between the hunter and their prey and what you know as long as you show respect in some way I think that um I think that a lot of hunters do show the respect to the animals because you know they're they're part of that process it's a it's an interesting thing to shoot something that you eat and not a lot of people out there get that that opportunity to know what that's like.
0: So at one point in your duck hunting career in high school, which was 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, no, yeah, probably 15 years ago, you would shoot drakes only that you decoyed, called in, tricked, mm-hmm. deceived. um, were probably a close range, harvestable. I mean, uh, things can go wrong and you could cripple a bird at that range, but you up your odds. Oh, yeah. As a duck hunter or as in, 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 your, in the way that you live your life now and, and, and instill your hunting beliefs in, in your brain... Is there a wrong way to shoot at a duck? In my opinion, there is. I'm not asking for you to agree with me, but do you think that sky blasting is a bad thing? Do you think that letting ducks land on the water and scraping them? Is there a right way to shoot a duck? I know you're probably going to give the politically correct answer again. Maybe you will if I'm not going to tell somebody how to hunt, but is there something wrong with shooting at a bird flying at 80 yards high um, when you have the ability to hone your skills to do better than that?
1: Yeah, I mean, my whole purpose of going out there is not to wound stuff, you know. I I try to take the shells that I'm going to use, and I I try not to use too many of them, you know. But, I mean, yeah, have I shot birds on the water? Yep, I've done it. And did I feel bad about it? No, because in that particular instance, I was probably just like, I really want to eat some ducks, and uh, I don't have any right now, and I'm just going to go shoot some ducks, whatever kind of ducks they are, as long as it's legal, shoot them, whatever, jump them, whatever, Um, you know. But, yeah, I mean, now if I know, I'm like, oh, here's a bird that I'm going to wound, I, I won't shoot at it.
0: Does it piss you off at all or drive you crazy maybe is a better question. When you see people do that, when you know that there's a better way to do it and can, you can hone your skills to get the birds closer, the chances of killing a duck at 80 yards are very slim. To see a duck fall out of the air at that high is not very cool. Now, I understand the whole belief in eating ducks and making sure that you fill your freezer – but to me, I get pretty irritated when the respect is at that level to where you'll just sky bust a duck, especially when you're talking with the whole, you know, keep public lands public and hunting public areas. Like we have Stillwater, the Greenhead here. Um, it kind of makes it tough for other hunters when there's somebody out there doing it. Do you do you ever get that in that? I know that you're not a confrontational person. I don't know for sure if you're not, ever, you know, that if you ever get confrontational, but does it ever just make your skin like just seize up a little bit when you see that or hear of it?
1: Oh yeah, it has. And I'm like, especially when you're sitting there, you're like, Oh, these birds are coming in. And then someone shoots at him. Like what? They didn't have a chance in the hell to shoot that duck. Um, yeah, I mean, most of the time. And I think a lot of it though, is just there, they're, you know, you kind of assume that everybody knows what you know when you're out there. I mean, it could be some guy that that's the first time he's ever duck hunting. He just has no clue how close that bird is or, some kid that got excited. Like I've been that person at some point in my life, you know? So, I mean, I also look at it like that. And if it's somebody that knows better, you're like, Hey man, what are you doing?
0: It's a good way. You know,
1: I mean, who knows? Like that, that's one of those things that you just honestly don't know what's going on, what's going through their head.
0: Uh, No, it's a good, it's a good answer. It, It makes total sense. And I also wanted to talk to you about one of your comments about how you get ingrained in, into the hunt and, you know, like the wolf would chase an elk and you want to figure out, you know, to be that predator because, you know, there's natural predators that chase the animals that we chase. With that being said, Remy, um, predator management, predator control, management's probably a better word, calling in coyotes, um, dogging for cougars, dogging for bears. Is there, is there a a thought in your mind ever that it's bad or as a hunter and a conservationist, do you have the thought process that predators red foxes skunks it doesn't matter what need to be kept in under control and managed
1: yeah i mean my my thought is like i always just go to the science of it so if if there was a if for some reason the science came out was like hey we can't shoot any more coyotes then i'd be like okay no more shooting coyotes now if it you know the science is we need to manage the wolves just like we manage the elk and the deer populations to keep everything in balance i'm all for it so i'm always on the side of like biology and science of you know population numbers and things like that and also i know i mean i've hunted areas where they've gotten lax on chasing cats or other things and and the undulant populations just rapidly decline and you go okay like this is out of balance like as humans we've already messed up the ecosystem so much that we have to manage it because there's so many factors now that just never exist You know, the idea of somebody saying, well, let's just leave it how it was. Well, when when was that? Like there's never in North America been a time when human hunters weren't with the animals that are currently on this continent. So humans have always managed the populations, but now we introduce things like fences and roads and foreign grasses and, you know, fires caused by people that now the new feed that comes back is an invasive species that outcompetes the native, you know, type of habitat, so it'll never be the same, and we will now, from now on, always have to take a role in managing the animal population, so if it comes out, hey, you know, we need to manage predators, because they're hurting the animals that we also like to hunt, then, yeah, we have to do that, um, and I'm all for it, so that's... If it's, you it's kill it's a coyote, do you science. have to eat it? No, I have eaten them. I don't... They aren't that bad. It's a little weird, but... I was like, well, eh, might as well see what it's Was like. this a Rinella idea? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, we were both talking about it. I was like, he's like, have you ever eaten a coyote? I was like, no. And I, I don't really, I don't coyote hunt a lot. Like, just, you know, it's, it's not something that I, I just am so, I've got so many other things that I chase. It's not something that I have a lot of time to do. I mean, like, I have gone out coyote hunting before. I'm not really that good at it though. Um, I'm just going to lose patience, but it is fun. Um, but yeah, it's like we were in Mexico and We shot a coyote. We got one of those. Like, let's use this electronic. I think I bought an electronic collar. It's like, oh, this will be fun because there's a ton of coyotes down there, and the uh the place where we were at, they were just like, hey, you guys, get some time, shoot some coyotes for us. Like, yeah, that sounds cool. Um, and so we shot a coyote and we cooked it up. It actually wasn't that bad at first, but afterwards, it was like, I don't, I don't think I would do that again. Really? Yeah. It was kind of. It, it didn't taste. It tasted. It tasted a lot like a like a real, like a mud duck flavor is like kind of like a goose or coot.
0: What goes through your Renella's head when you come up with these ideas? Like, is it a respect thing that you feel like you owe it to every animal that you pull back the bow or squeeze the trigger on to at least taste it? Because to me, I've never had that. I've, I've always been into coyote hunting. Don't do it as much as I used to. My brothers still do. But I've never had the mindset to ever taste one. But when you talk about it, I, I wonder, like, if if we owe it to that animal to at least try it once. But what the conversations that Renella has, and I know that meat Eater's a huge success, and I know that he, he talks about eating coyote and cougar and a lot, and, and I know that cougar can taste good. But you're eating an animal that eats animals for a living. You're you you're eating an animal that uses every muscle in his body. The meat can't be very tender. Is there a reason to ever try to eat a coyote? And what why why is it? I don't get it.
1: Well, I think a lot of it for me is is because there's been so many things that people have this weird idea about and say isn't good and it's just not true. Um, like javelina, I I think javelina is one of the best game like best tasting game animals out there, and I've heard so many people say javelinas are inedible. It's like I've never had a javelina that didn't, didn't taste as good as any pork I've ever had. So for me, I think it just depends on. <coughs> sorry, um, I think it just. For me, it's okay. Is wh- am I just going to take everything I hear for face value, or should I figure it out for myself whether it's good or whether it's bad? Because something might get a negative connotation, like oh, bear, it's a lot of people, some people might go, oh, bear meat's terrible, and you try it, I'm like, well, this isn't that bad, or bear meat's great, and you try it, and you don't like it personally. Um, I've had a ton of people tell me antelope's terrible, and I think antelope's great. So, I think it comes down to like the way people prepare things. So I just figure if I shoot something, I got to try it for myself, see if it's any good. Like I've heard a lot of people say you can't eat brown bears. Well, the one brown bear that I've shot, um, was better than any black bear I've ever eaten. So I was like, okay, well that's completely debunked. And they say, oh, it depends on what it was eating. Well, this was eating a dead seal and it was some, it was just tasted like meat to me. So
0: and I, now, is it, is it something to where you can salt and pepper it and make it like a, a backstrap? Or is it something that you got a pressure cooker and put all kinds of flavor and marinate into it? I know that Renella has made a name for himself of camp cooking just right off the bone, onto the flame, a little salt, maybe a little pepper or something. But you're, you could sit across this table from me, Remy, and tell me that a grizzly bear or a brown bear, and I don't even, I've eaten black bear one time you're telling me that that's a, 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 a good meat to eat. Would you choose it over a moose or a caribou or is, are you just eating it to eat it because you killed it?
1: No, I think like in that instance, it was actually, I mean, I just cooked it over the fire. Um, you know, a couple days after I shot it um, seasoned it with, you know, very minimal and it was good. You know, we had to over, you have to overcook it a little bit. So like something like that, it's just better, but there's some cuts. Like, I mean, a bear roast is way better slow cooked than a deer roast. Because it has more fat in it, it ends up tasting better. It's it doesn't dry out. It's actually a lot better that way. I, I personally don't really like moose meat. So, you know, some people be like, oh, I, I think I'd rather eat bear than moose most of the time. I just don't like the way moose tastes. But I love elk meat, so I think it's just you know you, you cook it, you figure out what you like and what you don't like, and I'm willing to try it. You know, not just take somebody's word for it whether it's good or not.
0: So uh, if I'm gonna take your word for moose meat. And I've eaten moose. So I'm just asking this directly. Yeah. Is it because it's gamey that you don't like it?
1: Yeah, it tastes like mud to me. Like I've guided a lot of moose, gone on a lot of moose hunts, and it just that smell, like that rut mud smell. You know how moose smell. I don't know. The meat tastes like that to me. I just don't like it that you, much. And you
0: can't. You would not say because I would say probably ten years ago I would say antelope's the exact same thing to me. Eighty, you know, ninety-five degree day in northern Nevada. You, you know, you got to be really careful. And obviously the number one thing with antelope is how you take care of the meat. Once you don't sit around and party and celebrate, you know, you got to get it on ice and get it taken care of in a hurry but I you know I with that smell I always associated with eating antelope and it just that was always like it was like sage hen hunting and in, in early yeah. September it was just that smell and then my, my godfather Lauren or my pops would be cooking up sage hen. I'd be like ooh, I just got a whiff so kind of like turn my senses off to eating it is that kind of what you're saying moose meat does to you
1: yeah I don't like it as much as other stuff like there's a lot of stuff that I'd rather eat over moose but then there's some people that that's they think that's the best I mean I've shot like a a young moose that was pretty good the steaks and everything were pretty good. The burger was a little, little off to me, you know, but that's why I'm like, well, if I shoot it, I might as well eat it and see what it tastes like. And I think some stuff too, is just people don't handle it right. So it gets a bad rap and then they cook it bad and then it gets an even worse rap. It's like, well, all right, with the skills that I have of taking care of the animal and cooking, is it is it going to be something that I'm think is palatable that i think is really good who knows until you try it i'm not just gonna take someone's word for it you know
0: yeah because you hear that with ducks a lot you know oh, I, mean, yeah. I can't eat duck and i'm like well you you probably livered it you know you probably overcooked it first exactly of all. but i think that hearing you say that about moose that's very surprising to me that that you don't like moose because a lot of people i hear say that now what you just said about ground beef, ground moose in the in the in the hamburger part of it i'm the exact same way with buffalo I've, I've, when I try to eat a Buffalo burger, I get that weird, that weird, uh, f- for, for Buffalo ground beef. Ground, I don't, what do you call it? Ground, ground, buffalo. ground buffalo, <laughs> buffalo, I guess burger, yeah. it's not beef, but it, I, my brother loves it. He swears by it. And then when I eat a, a Buffalo burger, I'm like, that's not even close to a beef burger. It's not even, and I get it. It's you killed it and you're gonna eat it. And I do eat it. But it, to me, it's like the, it, it doesn't sit well with me, the ground Buffalo meat either.
1: Yeah, I think I think there's some things you know, like some people don't. Like, I love duck meat. I hate goose meat. Like I don't even shoot geese because I just don't like to eat them. Um, you know, there came like I'll shoot geese in New Zealand because they don't they don't migrate, so they taste pretty good. But I just personally don't like taste of goose, so I just don't even shoot them anymore. But I love duck, so I was like, all right, you know, if I was hunting, I'd trade you like <laughs> goose for duck any day but then i started making like goose chorizo and that was pretty good so you find a way that like works for you like this is tasty now when you, you say geese again. do you mean all species uh mostly canada geese yeah,
0: yeah. like speckle bellies in california or louisiana there's some they're they're my favorite waterfowl yeah i've actually never i've never shot one so i'm gonna send you home with two tonight all right i'm trying i just brought like i just brought a bunch back from california oh, that cool. we ate three of them last night here they were awesome so what what is the number one go-to right now? If I said, I have a freezer full of every Western big game animal there is, from from Rocky Mountains to California sheep to desert sheep to antelope to elk to mountain goat to mule deer to cougar, what does Remy Warren pull out of the freezer as his go-to number one meal? Mm. Is there a favorite in the West? In oh, the West yeah.
1: People? I mean, elk's hard to beat. Um, out of everything, like I think elk's the best. Axis deer are pretty good, too. Not a Western animal, but... Yeah, axis deer is pretty solid, as far as like game meat goes. I think those are my top two, and probably antelope after that.
0: So, is antelope something that you can just salt and pepper too, and throw down a tenderloin or a, or a backstrap or oh, steak yeah, on it? Yeah, and it all comes down to how you took care of that meat when yep. you killed it, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think the other thing too, um like early season mule deer is really good. A lot of people don't. You know, they might think like, "Oh, ready, mule deer, mule deer taste." Like a lot of people don't might not like the taste of mule deer, but it might just be a seasonal thing. Like later in the year, earlier in the year. But I always bow hunt them so early in the season. Like I think it's some of the best meat.
0: Mule deer, velvet horned, mm-hmm. September August season. Yeah, you're saying is going to taste better. I'm trying to, I'm trying to equiv uh, you know, to, to compare it to, it seems to me like wild game would be better the colder it gets because it seems like they would, you know, they're, they're going through a process of their body changes to where they're developing more fat. It's going to be tastier meat when it gets colder. But you're saying kind of the quiet opposite for a mule deer that you'd rather eat it on a, a 90 degree August day than, than compared to an Octo- a late October, early November buck.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Really? Oh yeah. It's way better. I think a lot of it has to do with like, the maybe what they're eating they're eating more grasses that time of year this is like early season um, they're in the high country they're eating a little bit more grass less buck brush less like less browse, more grays um but who knows i don't know it just seems that their uh, early season always tastes better than the later season deer that i've ever got
0: does that go for elk too? Is an is August archery elk or September archery elk better than a, a rifle season elk?
1: No, it's funny. Like elk, I've, uh, I think elk are the one game animal that just never, it, it doesn't matter what time of year, they're always the same to me. I mean, really? I've shot them early, I've shot them late. I even shot like an uh, elk in velvet on a special tag in August and it tasted the same as elk. Like elk are the one animal that I feel like tastes great all the time. That's why they're at the top for me. But it's also, like, compared to other deer like moose and, and mule deer, whitetail, elk are grazers, not browsers. So their their stomachs are designed to digest grass, whereas deer aren't. Like, an elk is more similar to a cow in that way where it's a grazer. You know, it chews its cud and has, you know, it's it's designed to eat grass. And I think that the way it breaks down its food, it just makes the meat more... And, you know, enjoyable, I think personally. That's that's the way I feel about it.
0: Do you do you ever get a call from Rogan when he's doing? He's obsessed with cooking elk, and it's mm-hmm. awesome. Do, have you been one of the guys that have given him some of the ideas for his preparation, or is he winging this um, with all of all of his different recipes that he's been throwing down on?
1: Oh no, I think a lot of it's just like you know some of the stuff he just he, he throws down with whatever sounds good at the time. But you know, like I've been in a few like just hanging out a few times or in the hunting camp and we'll just like cook up, you know, access deer chops or this, that, and the other thing on the Traeger or on whatever. And then he'll go home and do it and recreate it. And it's like awesome. You know, the ways that we've, a lot of the ways are like ways that people around him cook it all the time and it turns out great, you know, so.
0: What kind of guys he personally to hang out with? Is he on a different level intellectually than most people that he sits in a room with or at a campfire with? Or is he just well-studied to where when he, before he has a conversation, he studies it? Or is he just on a, di- is did you, did you, is that yeah. a fair question? Is he just, is he on a different level of intelligence?
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's like, he's the type of person that definitely puts a lot of preparation into things and definitely thinks about everything. Um, you know, if it's just like, just hanging out, nah, just a normal guy. Um, but you know, when it comes to like what he does for work, I mean, yeah, a different level of I think just that higher level of focus and really puts everything into it, like the amount of studying he does to have a guest or to talk about something like he's very interested in everything and he's got a very open mind about things. So he'll, he, he likes to do his research and just see what, you know, like look at things from all different sides. Not a lot of people do that. Like a lot of people just get focused in one thing and they're like, well, that's right. But he's like, Well, is that right? And then yeah, I think that's kind of the difference. Like a lot of people don't do that.
0: Yeah, I can I sense that in him. Kind kind of like his tweet or whatever he put out the other day when uh Kanye West was messaging him. I don't know if you saw that about mental health, but I was like, you know, that's a it's a cool thing that he would actually take the time to even respond to that and then put the preparation in to really have a uh you know, an intelligent conversation with it. And when you hear him talk. He he sounds kind of like you would believe everything he says, and you're, you ask yourself, "Well, can I really?" Because he's so he seems so credible on so many different topics that are out there, and then you're like, "You have no choice." I mean, like, why you can't discount anything that the guy says? You take his his commentary for the UFC. Is as good as it gets. He's so well-versed in everything that goes on in the octagon. Then you take the personality of the fighters, the preparation, the training, everything that goes into that. He's got a a good grasp on that. But then the next day, he's talking about biochemistry and all molecular chemistry and all this stuff, and you're just like, man, he really is well-versed in a lot of different areas. And I think that there you know i think joe's like 51 52 years old which is a very young age but it seems to me like he's very qualified in a lot of different areas and that's why i asked you the question is i've been around guys that you just can tell by watching them that they know that they're on a different level than everybody else in the in the room and i'm not saying that in an arrogant way like i would ever think that joe was like that like he thinks he's better than anybody you just can tell like he's just on a different level i think his comedy says a lot about that too you might disagree with that but when i when i watch his stand up routines you you have to think about a lot of his jokes which I think is is an intelligence level thing. It's none of it's generic and none of it's half-assed. So I I asked that because I'd wonder, like, could he sit in any environment and have a a good conversation on any topic with any female, any male, any country? Obviously the language barrier, but that's why I wanted to ask you that. He just seems like a very well-rounded person.
1: Yeah, for sure. But I think the thing that makes him even, you know, like better at it Retaining that stuff, he's like a good listener too, you know? So if he doesn't know something, like he asks questions and he listens to people who know more as answers and then he like absorbs that, absorbs that, you know? I think that's like, that's a cool quality to have because not a lot of people do that. A lot of people just have something in their mind and they want to know what they know. But he like actually actively seeks out other information and that's pretty cool.
0: So... Is there a difference with a Joe Rogan putting up a picture on social media of a dead animal? Uh, you know, I've seen your stuff. You take a picture with your animal, and there's a lot of respect that goes into it. A lot of you, what I learned about you is a lot of your pictures that are you would assume somebody else took them of you are taken with you in a self timer, which is a whole that, that's pretty cool. Um, a lot. I, I don't. Does anybody ever take a picture of you, or are they all done by you? Ninety
1: nine point nine percent all. Yeah, mine.
0: Is that a mindset thing or is that just because you're always alone?
1: Um, no, it's a mindset thing too. Like I just like to I, I'm I like to take photos and I like um part of it for me too is like I like to own the photos that I'm in. I don't like somebody else like having say of whatever so so I just take my own pictures pretty- so then I don't have any like copyright for trouble or anything like that. Like it's all hundred percent mine, so I don't have to worry about it. And then, I don't know, I always thought, like, oh, man, there's these people that have these awesome photos. I'm like, I don't have a photographer. I was like, fuck it. Why don't I just be my own photographer? Really? Yeah. I was like, I can do this. Why not? So I just kind of developed a a way that works for me of, like, you know, setting up the camera. And and I've always been, like, pretty decent at photography and it's something that I enjoy doing. So for me, it's just, like, an added bonus to get to take photos. I'm like, I'm just, I, I like to go on trips and take photos. So whether I'm in them or not, like, take pictures for other people. But it's, like, cool to be like, okay, this is a photo of my trip. No one else was there, and I got good photos. Because I've always liked to, like, go home after a trip and, like, have photos to remember the trip by. So, you know, so I always kind of just pushed myself to take better photos when no one else was there.
0: I like it. I, I, I looked at a bunch of them the last couple of days since we scheduled this, and it's, it takes more time than people think because a lot of them before I found out that, you know – that you were taking them with a self timer and setting it all up and putting the camera on a tripod or whatever the base system you uses. It's, it's a lot of people would take that for granted on how much time goes into that. Oh yeah. The question I was asking you though, is with, uh, in, in regards to Rogan and his social media, he's very aggressive on social media. He's on there a bunch. He, he relies on it to market his shows, UFC, his podcasts, his books, everything that he does. Um, Is there a difference in putting a picture of Remy Warren up with an antelope or an elk with the animal there in the horns and showing people, hey, I'm showing respect to this animal. I know it's a dead animal, but there's a lot that went into this. Joe will put up a picture of a plate with a bunch of backstrap or tenderloin cut up, medium rare with some jalapenos and asparagus or cabbage or something, spinach. Is there a difference? Can the haters still come after him? Do they? Does he ever talk about that? Is he really careful? Because he does cross so many different mediums with his audience, with his fan base, his potential listeners. Does a person that hunts and, and has the potential to be a voice in this and say, yeah, I hunt. Yeah, I do this. Because he does say that, but he doesn't show a lot of the death part of it. Is there anything with showing that death part of it? And if there is, why doesn't Joe do that more no matter the no, no matter the backlash of it is it, does he have to be that careful with who he is
1: oh I, I mean that you'd have to ask him that i don't really know um i think though a lot of it like i i see plenty of um pictures that he has or whatever of like elk or whatever so but i think you know most most of it's probably the day-to-day like you know today i walk into my freezer and i pull out a steak and make it and you know the, the hunt's a short portion of like the use of the animal so You know, if you're showing like your day to day stuff on your social media, you're probably going to show just, you know, 20 times more photos of you eating it than you killing it. Because that's, you know, that's, that's actually more realistic to your, your normal life. Um, you know, but I think too, you know, he has a great platform to, to garner support for hunting. And I think a lot of people under, like when they see it as food, they're like, oh, okay, I do that too. Like that makes sense because the fate of hunting doesn't decide isn't decided by hunters or non hunters. It's it's decided by the majority of people that make decisions that don't hunt but are not on either side. You know, hunting is not uh, it's not a right. It's a privilege that we get. Like there's no constitutional amendment that says we get to go hunting. And I mean, as much as I'd like there to be, there isn't. It's not like owning a gun. You know, hunting could be taken away tomorrow, and it, it just depends on. Who's better at talking to the people that make the decisions? So, you know, if if you go out and you make a video that shows you killing an animal or in some way that the general public finds offensive, then it's going to be on you for the reason that hunting is no longer around. But if you go and make a video that shows hunting in a light that the normal people that make the decisions can associate with, like. Well, I eat meat. Okay. Yeah. This guy doesn't get his meat from the store. He goes out and shoots it himself. I guess that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Like that actually might even be better than the way I get my meat. If people start thinking like that, then the people that make the decisions for the things that we love will continue. If we don't, then it could end. And there's a, I mean, that's the scary thing about social media is you don't get to pick your audience. You know, back in the days when you made hunting DVDs, you, you, someone had to go to the store, buy the DVD, put it in their DVD player and watch it. The general public couldn't just flip on and see things that they may or may not want to see. So anything now on social media, it's so public. Like People that don't like hunting can see images of that might only be designed for hunters to see. And uh, that's that's where people can get in trouble. Like I think that the biggest threat to hunting is the way that you know, things might get picked up. I mean, look at, you know, hounds in California got banned because of the way that a video got disseminated and people didn't saw that and they didn't like bears being chased with dogs. And so that got shut down. You know, and it was a hunter that got it shut down. It wasn't a non-hunter. It was a video that a hunter made that got hound hunting shut down in the state of California. So what other things are out there, you know, if you show a really bad video of you bow hunting could you be the person that gets bow hunting banned for the rest of us? You could, and that would suck, and I'd be really mad at you, you know, and so I, wouldn't, I wouldn't consider you a very good hunter, you know, so if you're going to make something public, like, you seriously have to consider, oh, yeah, I'm a hunter, I can hunt, and, yeah, well, it's not hunters making decisions, so if you show an, a video that the general public is going to find offensive or disrespectful and look bad toward hunters, you, in my opinion, would be an anti-hunter, even though you hunt because you are hurting the sport of hunting for everybody else that enjoys it. You know, you don't have to. So that's why, like, I, you know, I mean, like you said, and like with social media, I've, I've got a lot of people that look at what I'm doing of the close to 200,000 people that follow me on various social media stuff. How many of them are hunters? I have no clue. Maybe it's only 50%. Well, okay. Well, the other half of them, Like if I did something that was offensive and they could take and use against hunting, I'd be really disappointed in myself for for harming the thing that I love the most.
0: It's very well said, and it makes me think of a conversation I had a couple weeks ago right here of a picture that really irritated me of some duck hunters. Um, I would never (laughs) say who. I wouldn't call them out, but you always wonder, like, should you call them out? Should you contact them and, and, and educate them a little bit, but you know, they were taking the animal and throwing it through the air like it was a football and they were taking pictures of it. And I was like, that animal's already gone through freaking enough with getting hit with 1,450 feet a second, you know, ammunition that's been engineered to rip through their body. And they hit the water and they died and the dog carried them in. I mean, they've already gone through enough. And now you as a hunter or a quote unquote, so-called hunter are actually taking time to post a picture of them being disrespected again when they're already. So I was like, and what you just said signifies that it's like we have a responsibility of that. So my question to you, Remy, is: you watch a show on the Outdoor Channel or the Sportsman Channel, which you've been a part of many episodes, and on 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 different forms of digital for you know um, content. Is it okay to show the arrow going into the, the animal? Is it okay to show the impact, the, the penetration of the bullet? Is it okay to show the duck getting hit and falling? Or are we going to get to the point to where we have to be softer than that? Um, is that disrespectful or is that still you know ethically correct to show? I mean, can you still be deemed ethical even if we are showing that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it, it it just depends on the way you're showing it, you're, the way the type of respect you're showing the animal. Like it, it, every everything's very situational, but I think it's something that, like, as hunters, we just need to self police ourselves. Um, you know, like most of wildlife conservation, and the reason that we get to hunt today is because hunters started organizations and created a code of ethics around hunting. You know, back when the buffalo were almost eradicated, it was hunters that created wildlife refuges for antelope and bison and like started regulations and issuing tags and creating a whole new system of wildlife management. That was not a a separate entity coming and saying, this is how you have to hunt. It was hunters saying, I enjoy hunting and I don't want to see this go anywhere. And so they started self-policing. And that's where you get like the code of ethics of the Boone and Crockett club of, okay, well, you don't shoot animals at night. You don't do this. You don't do that. Those are self-imposed code of ethics that hunters give themselves. And the entire reasoning behind that was so that the general public would see what hunters do as ethical and okay in their eyes. So, you know, maybe that code of ethics needs to be changed over the course of time before Everybody had access to types of hunting media. You could kind of do whatever you wanted because you were talking to somebody that was a hunter. But now that, you know, anybody could flip on the TV and watch something, well, maybe that needs to change. You know, do I think that I'm dumbing down hunting? Well, no. I mean, when you're talking to your buddies, you talk about things that you wouldn't talk to someone else that doesn't like hunting or whatever. Like, you talk completely different in your own little circles. But if now everybody sees what hunters are doing and that they get a bad taste in their mouth, then maybe we need to just kind of rethink the way that we do things and kind of start self-policing ourselves a little better. So if you see something that, like, that doesn't look good for hunting as a whole, like, I feel like we should find a way to, like, communicate that to each other that's not, like, Oh, I'm coming against you. You know, like why don't we all right? Like why don't we all just be for hunting and not have our own little groups and try to like hunters are going to be the people that get rid of hunting in my opinion because it's like so much infighting. Like oh, you're a you're a duck hunter. Well, I'm an upland hunter. You suck. And like let's bring you down. You know, it's like well, no, we all love the same thing, just a different form of it. And I think that um, it's really important that hunters. Like kind of self police ourselves and say, okay, who's seeing this, and is it okay? And I've had people like even send me messages and be like, hey man, that picture that you posted, I don't know if that looks that good. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll like, and I respect that. And yeah, if I'm doing something that you know you think might not be good for hunting, then I'll definitely do a check and make sure that I'm not harming the thing that I love the most.
0: Have you had this conversation, or kind of not verbatim, but or? But if you have this on a bigger platform than what we're sitting here doing right now, because it's very well thought of. And I think that the whole self-policing part of it is is important. And when I saw that picture, I was like, man, if I, if I say something, I'm the asshole. Who are you to say this just because you got a TV show? Or who do you think you are, Chad Belling, to tell me how to take care of my ducks after? But I really felt in my heart, Remy, that it needed to be said. Like, man, that's not right for what we do. This lifestyle should be cherished because... I always talk about how blessed we are and how privileged we are. And we're not entitled to this. Like you said, it can be taken away at any second. So was I wrong for not saying something? Should I have had somebody on my team say something? Was it an opportunity missed by me seeing that, feeling the the expressions inside my body that I felt, the the you know the the what my brain was telling me to do is different than I did because I didn't want to bruise what I have going on. Right. And maybe that's a maybe that was the pansy way of looking at it because in reality I had a chance to do what you you're saying we need to be doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing. Like I've seen some stuff and I've personally been like, man, that looks real bad. Like this is going to be real bad. And, uh, and like, didn't say anything, but I also don't know if, you know, it's like, okay, well maybe I'm not in the position to say something, you know, cause I think it's just hypocritical or something, but is like well you show dead animals all the time on television and you do this and you have way more people looking at it it's like yeah but you know, I'm also open to you know if something's like not criticism but just like in protection of hunting I think that we just need to kind of come together and think like think of that in our minds every time we do something and you know if you got hunting buddies like I think the best person to say it is your close friends you know, like, if you got a close friend that does something, you're like, man, that didn't look that good, you know. Maybe we should, like, try to do something better or take that down, you know, and, like, get with, your like, the people you're close to and be like, hey, let, let's, like, you know, look out for what we love a little bit. And I think in the broader community, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think maybe it was a missed opportunity, but yeah, it's hard to say, you know. I, I mean, I honestly think, like, if I see something, I try to. I now try to say something because uh, it was a, while, a couple of years ago. Like I saw something. And, I mean, I don't, it's like we'll talk about it. I don't really care at this point, but it was like a video of a dude spearing a bear, and that did not. And I was like, "This is a sh- horrible. This is going to be horrible for hunting." And it was, you know. I mean, in Canada now, like spear hunting, like if you were way into spear hunting, it's now illegal in a lot of places because of the video that someone put out about spear hunting and it just was not in good taste and the defenses they used weren't shown in the video. So you just have to like think about things and who could see it and what's your defense and is, is your defense of what you did in the what everybody saw.
0: So if you're friends with the couple, and I don't know if you can talk on that or not, but the same couple that gotten gotten some turmoil over, I think it was spear hunting a bear. and yeah. Was it Alaska or was it Canada? Canada. So that was Canada. Was that... was that an opportunity for them to say no this doesn't need to be shown we did it it's it's legal to do we we harvested the bear ethically in our opinion and it's legal but should they have stepped back and took a deep breath and pumped the brakes for a second say whoa man in the big picture of things this could hurt us but in, on the other side the devil's advocate argument is like what did they do wrong if it's legal but your your voice your opinion and what you're saying your stance is you got we got to think we got to self-police it yeah. so maybe that shouldn't have been shown yeah. but is that different than shooting a bow that goes 420 feet a second with a broadhead on it that's going to kill that bear in the same amount of time
1: no i mean and even this like okay there's you could you can make a spear hunting video that showcases it in a different light you know what i'm saying It's just the way that you you do things. Sometimes is the difference. And like I hate to say it, like okay, well, what is it? And everything's situational. But you know, you you have to think of it in the terms of just because it's legal, legal doesn't mean that the general public will think it's ethical. You know, like we have a ton of rules as far as hunting ethics go that may or may not align with the laws. You know, and there's some too that I just think like, okay, let's say you're deer hunting and you shoot a deer and it runs and jumps over a fence that's private and dies. Like, okay, well, what do you do? In the state of Montana, you have to get landowner permission or whatever to, you know, get the retrieve the animal. So, you know, you go, well, what if that landowner said, no, you can't go over there. Okay, well, do you break the rules and go retrieve the animal or like do you punch? you know, do you punch your tag? Like what's the right what's the right move? You know, what's where do ethics and you know What is the, the right move? I mean, I would I would definitely talk. I mean, I think most of the time you'd just talk to the landowner. If they said no, I'd probably go to the game war and say, "Hey man, this guy said no. Can you go get it?" You know, I'd try to find a way around it. Um What if
0: what if that landowner had said yes previously? happens again to you and one of your guided hunters in montana but now you can't get a hold of him he's on vacation in tahiti and his cell phone's not working but he said yes last season so you're automatically assuming that he would say yes again but you're still illegal or did he already give you permission by granting it the year before that's a whole other question is like the the game warden could be like well he didn't tell you yes this time he could have been in a pissed off mood this morning and said no if you would have got a hold of him but in my mind as a hunter i'm thinking well he gary told me yes last year I'm yeah. going over there and getting that deer, but really you're illegal, right? Yeah,
1: you would be. Yeah. And I think, and I mean, you know, you, you would get the permission or whatever. I mean, I would do everything in my power to, to be legal. I wouldn't break the law, but I'm just saying like, as a hunter, you know, that like, there's things that the law might go against that you're like, that's not right. You know what I'm saying? Like in deep down downside, even if it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to break the law, but I know that something might not be right, you know? And the same goes for things that are legal that might not be right like let's say let's say you have two doe tags right so do you think it's like is it ethical to or like let's say you have a tag and an animal's trapped in something it's like got caught in a fence like is it ethical to go shoot the animal while it's trapped in the fence you know it's not illegal but is it is it ethical to do
0: would it be more ethical to go and, and do everything in your power to get the animal out of that out fence? Out of the fence, yeah. And I think and let what, that's, live.
1: that's what most hunters do. You know, it's not illegal, but like for if you saw a giant elk trapped in a fence and you shot it, you can't enter it into Boone and Crockett because it's not fair chase. It's like,
0: it's, it's confined. It's so trapped. Then what's the difference in. But it's not illegal. But what's the difference in snaring a coyote and shooting it out of a trap or a leg trap or an iron trap? Right. Is, there, is the ethics playing into that? Just because trapping has been accepted by the trapping community, a lot of people, anti and you know, people that aren't educated on hunting or predator management or somebody that doesn't really pick a side, trapping could very easily, even though I'm, I'm for it and I support it, it, trapping could easily look pretty damaging to hunting in the long run. Could it? Or yeah, I, no, I, mean, I I mean, you're walking up on an animal that's alive and he's in a leg trap, and you're going to put a 22 on the back of his ear and pull the trigger on a bobcat or a coyote or something. That's not much different than a mule deer being stuck in barbed wire. Is it, or is it
1: right? Well, that's why it's like, okay, well, am I, do I, I mean, like I have a, every, every year since I've been 12 years old, I've had a trapping license, you know? I mean, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with trapping, but I also wouldn't post a bunch of videos of me walking up to animals in traps. Because if the general public can get a hold of it, that's the way that trapping will
0: cease to exist, you know? Makes total sense. Yeah, I mean... So it's self-policing, not that you don't believe in it, and not that you wouldn't stand up for it and argue or maybe just say, Hey, there's nothing wrong with trapping. I believe in it. I've had my trapping license and my fur bearers license since I was 12. I'm just not going to be the guy that goes out and says... I don't care if you like it or not. I'm showing this animal in a leg trap with his sad eyes looking at me, getting smoked by a 22, and then I'm going to go to the fur market and the fur trade and take care of it that way. Yeah, There's a, that, difference. It's there a, a difference. There
1: is a difference. And it's that's that right there, of Like if you love trapping, that's how trapping will like cease to exist, is by trappers doing something stupid and creating a video that someone that's adamantly against it gets a hold of and blasts to the public. It doesn't really care to see something like that.
0: So no matter how much I believe in it, no matter how much I will stand up for it, I'm not going to go exploit it because right. it could really backfire on me. I, let's take another example of like a Colin Kaepernick. How much belief does he have in this situation? This is a big stretch. But look at what it did to his career and his income and, his, and everything that happened and backfired in that situation. Is that kind of the same thought process? Like, I believe in it. But I'm not going to go to the extreme and do this to where it could potentially hurt me and my family in the long run. And I know that things have happened since then. And I'm just using that as an example is, is it the same with, are you, do you feel this, do you feel that with hunting? Do you feel it is the same as a Colin Kaepernick could feel about, about his rights and police officers and all of that? think about that because he did not have to do that. He did it to take a stance. So as a hunter, you taking a stance by saying, I don't care what you think. This has been a normal way of trapping and dispatching of animals for hundreds of years.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a little bit different, I guess, because as far as like the hunting goes, you could negatively affect all the other people that do it. You know, in his instance, maybe he just negatively affected himself, but you know, you. It's a good point. You know, you you have the ability to negatively affect everybody that also enjoys that, and you go, "Oh, well, you're backing down. You aren't a true hunter. You aren't standing up for your rights." N- no, it's a privilege. It's not a right. You know, the Second Amendment. Like, if you if you do that, like, say you um like are love to shoot pistols, and you make like a really bad video about shooting pistols, right, and that gets out. Well, in the Second Amendment grants you the right to have have and bear arms so you can't really fuck it up too much right like i mean yeah there are sides this that and the other thing but hunting isn't like that you know every year hunting could be just immediately erased by a ballot initiative like all it has to do is have enough signatures and it could be gone forever and people don't realize that and so it's like well Uh, Well, no, in the 1800s, people realized that and hunters started policing themselves over 100 years ago, creating codes of ethics and the way that we should, you know, be seen as into the general public and in order to keep the traditions and what we believe in alive. So is it like, oh, you aren't standing up for it? No, I think the best way to stand up for it is showcase hunting in the best light possible where those people that make the decisions are for what you do. That's how you stand up for hunting, if you want it to continue.
0: I like it. So self-policing, code of ethics, 100 years of hunters policing hunters, it's okay for me to have a voice and tell another hunter, hey, that's not, where I'm going with this, Remy, is even though it's something that I wouldn't do, is it should I voice my opinion on that picture? Should I do it? Should I be the guy that says, hey, man, I'm not trying to be a know-it-all here. I'm not trying to say that, you know, that you're a piece of shit for throwing those ducks through the air. All I'm simply saying is that the code of ethics, hunters policing other hunters, I'm just trying to educate a little bit that it might not. And maybe, maybe I'm the asshole for thinking this way. Is it okay to throw dead ducks through the air like they're footballs and take pictures of them flying through the air? Is it? I don't know. I will tell you that I've done things where I have a dead animal. Dog trainers do it all the time. They throw a duck and they use it to train a dog, but they're not out there, you know, disrespecting that animal and taking pictures of it to get a like on this social media, which you know is is another topic of conversation. Should I have said something?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in that instance, yeah, and and you know, maybe not publicly, but just being like, hey, you know, this might be like look bad hunting and you know and like pose it in a way that's that's just identifies the problem and the solution you know not like you know i'm trying to come at you for this or that but i think that there's a way to handle things and people have done that and i've done that you know and if it's taken in the right way and sometimes sometimes people will be like yeah no you're you're completely wrong fuck you well, sorry, I don't, i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry but happen. um yeah like people will be like you're completely wrong Forget whatever, you know, okay, well, whatever, you did your part, what else can you do, you know? I mean, there, there's people that just say just stupid things anyways over something that isn't bad, and they just don't like you personally or whatever, and that, that kind of stuff happens too, so.
0: Well, there, there's the, the haters out there, and, yeah. you know, and I know you've dealt with it, we all have, but now you send this guy a private message saying, hey, man. I just wanted to let you know how I feel. I don't want to make it public. And then he turns around, and he makes it public. Like, who the hell does Chad Belling think he is? And you're like, man, you can't win. Nah. You can't win. All I'm trying to do is do what Remy told me to do. We're hunters, policing hunters, self policing ourselves with this code of ethics. I'm not saying that you told me to do it. Yeah. Don't take it that way. But I think it's, I had every, I should have done it and, and, and not let it eat at me that these guys were disrespecting Mallard ducks this way. I shoot mallard ducks. I call them in. I deceive them. I decoy them. I get them tight. I kill them. I, I'm not saying I don't enjoy killing ducks, but there's a certain point that I'm going to have the utmost compassion and respect for that animal at all times. That's why when people are like, building, call the shop more often. I'm like, man, I'm mesmerized by this. Like when I read about you, about how you'll pass up animals to keep your hunt going, I've had thousands of mallards landing around me in flooded timber or in the cornfields of North Dakota. And you're like, you have these guys that are over there snickering like man he won't call a shot and i hear it all the time they're still my friends they're not being serious but they're frustrated as hell that all these ducks are around them and i'm sitting there in awe because i could very easily call the shot on the first three groups and then we're picking up decoys and we're back at the cafe eating breakfast or the lodge or whatever but i want to be out there i want to see the majesty the mystical of the mystical effect that these mallards put on me right and that's what I'm trying to get through to people when, I, when I'm putting out TV is that I had a long time ago gave up the, the, the thought process that I may see a duck, kill a duck kind of guy anymore. want they're majestic to me. Everything about hunting is majestic to me. When I read about what, when I read what you write, when I read your interviews, when I read articles written about you, I get that out of you a lot, is that a lot of hunters would have killed that deer at 40 yards if it was a 180 inch whitetail or, a mule deer and out of their truck, and you're like. Man, maybe I'll have another, maybe I'll I'll run into you again. We might see each other again, but right now I'm going to let you walk. This wasn't the right way to do it. You're having a bad day. You made a dumb mistake just now by standing by this road. We're going to, we'll see each other down the road. I'm going to go hunt something else. That's how I am with duck hunting. I think Mm -hmm. I'm like that with fishing too. There's a lot of times where I'm in the ocean and I'm catching sailfish and then and a lot of people are like, "Hey man, we caught our sails, we're out of here." And I'm like, "Man, let's just let's go after some dorado. Let's go do some more because I'm just I'm like I'm just awestruck with the natural ability that what the ocean does and what we're what we're out there doing." And so I think that if you approach it that way and you talk to people that are hunters, they buy hunting licenses, they have their hunter safety card, they support hunting, they put the decals on their trucks and they got their gun racks and they do everything that hunters do. There's still that policing each other that I like to hear you say. I've never really thought of it as that we do have the right to do that, which we owe it to each other. If you saw me doing something right, knowing you, I would want you to come up to me and go, Belly, um, why are you... Why are you doing this? Why are you showing ducks getting blown up in slow motion all the time? It drives me nuts with the way cameras are today. And you can show those ducks going through what they go through in slow motion. Do we? A little tiny bit. But when I watch a show or a video and I'm like, man, you're really just showing this. You're really just, this duck is like spinning in the air for five seconds before it hits the ground. Really? You couldn't edit that a little bit different? You know what I'm saying is it it bothers me, but I don't want to come across as the know-it-all or the asshole But I want to say, man, we don't need to see that. Stop it, please.
1: And I mean, as time goes on too, like technology changes, the way people get things changes. There's things that I did 10 years ago that I'm like, man, why did I do that? Or, but it was different times and you know, times change and you got to be like, all right, we got to up our game. We got to be a little bit more cohesive as hunters and like be more on each other's side and really self-police ourselves and be like a better team, a better team to protect what we like. If we want our kids to, it, we got to pass it on but we also have to protect what we have and be like all right you know let's let's kind of check in here because my parents my grandparents they didn't have to worry about social media when they went out hunting they went out hunting they might have taken a picture they might have not and they went home and they ate their deer their elk or their whatever ducks doesn't matter and and that was that you know but now it's like everybody has the. it's a cool opportunity where people can see what hunting is like and what Hunting means to us and the benefits of hunting, but they can also see things that they might not want to see. So it's our job as hunters to kind of protect that for ourselves.
0: I like that. And I think, like what you said about when, uh, the solo bow hunter stuff, and I've read up on your approach to that on the cameras, the equipment that goes into it, the preparation, the mindset, the mentality, and the mental strength that it takes to pass up something because you might not be ready for it with the cameras and you don't have a a field producer or a videographer with you you're you you really are out there trying to experience everything and show them my question to you remy is when that it comes down to that shot and you watch maybe a tree stand deer hunt maybe you are filming it yourself maybe you're not but I see some shots that I'm like, oh man, I don't know if I would have ran that. I don't know, why is the Outdoor Channel even showing that, like a spine shot? I, it's almost like, I know what's going on. They cut real quick away from it. Um, do we get to the point as editors and producers and the things that you do, do you get to the point to where we we have to be smarter on what we show and what we don't? What are we, What are we proving? What are we trying to achieve by showing that? What is that gonna get us? Yeah. What is that shot going to get us? What in the long run really is your sponsors going to go, man, we're going to extend your contract five years because you showed that. I mean, you what you're saying is along those lines, like, just be careful, be more cognitive of what we're doing as a co- cohesive unit. Let's help each other out. Like I would like to tell somebody like, man, I don't know if I was shown that, but they're going to be like, Hey, you said that you wanted to see reality. You wanted to see what really happens out there. Sometimes we might twitch and move off of our pin or something. And we're going to place that arrow in the wrong spot. And we're going to spine that deer but do we need to show that actual effect that it had on that deer or do we want to show the whole thing to be real? I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, you know, some of it's going to be situational and some of it's just going to change over time. And that time might be, you know, well, you know, it depends on where it's being seen and who gets to see it and really, you know, yeah. As a hunter, do I want to see everything that happens on your hunt? Sure. Yeah. Like that doesn't bother me, but You know, can the person that 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 does bother all of a sudden be seeing it and being like, well, where did this come from? I don't want to see this, you know. And could you have done that same hunt in a way that that person that's going to get to make the decisions for you in hunting be like, no, this isn't that bad. Well, I don't see anything wrong with this. It's not it's not like churching it up. It's just showing the best parts of it. And for the people that may not understand it.
0: Makes total sense. Do you. Do you make your living through outdoor TV? Um, yeah, you
1: know, I mean, I make my living through hunting in various forms, um, guiding, outfitting. Um, the TV's very, very small. I think most of it's like I do make my living out of different personal endorsements and things for, through social media and other stuff. Um, so, yeah, I guess, I mean, f- fairly similar.
0: Is your desire the same today that your desire for having cameras on you, whether you have a camera crew with you or whether you're doing it yourself, is your desire today as full and, and and passionate for that part of it as it was five, seven years ago? Do you still want a camera crew with you at all times or do you still film everything that you do?
1: Um, yeah, I still film almost everything I do. Uh, you know, there, there are some things that actually recently I have, I've done a few more hunts that I have no film of, um, just been doing a little bit more like photos and other stuff and just leaving it at that. But for me, I think it's like, I feel very fortunate to be able to be out there so much. It's like, all right, if I can help other hunters, cause I think a lot of people are in just different stages of hunting. And you know, if I can help somebody that only gets to go out a couple days a year or a couple of weeks a year if I can impart some kind of the way that I do things or take someone else on an adventure that might not get to experience that through sharing it. And in, in my ultimate goal is like showcase hunting in a great way, like before hunting and, and talk to the people that don't hunt and let them see hunting positively. Then that's a win for me. And that's my goal. So it's like, if I can do that through these videos and kind of get people that don't hunt into like looking at like, Oh, this is cool. uh, I'd watch like, I get a lot of messages from people. It's like they've watched solo hunters. They've never hunted in their life. And like, that's really cool. I could I could see myself doing that. It's like, that's a win. That's awesome. You know, so for me, I like to film and take photos and do that kind of stuff of my trips because I just feel like I'm in a good place to be able to share that with people. And I really enjoy sharing it. And it it is tricky trying to navigate the way of how to share something. Um, you know, and and it's always evolving like daily, you know, I might look back at things that I did last year and be like, no, I won't do that this year or some things will change and some things won't, you know, I mean, it's constantly changing, but I still really enjoy filming and photographing and, and sharing my hunts, whether through film or through writing or whatever. Like, I, I just really like to be able to
0: share that. On the other side of sharing it, as far as having, you know, filming yourself or having a crew with you, has videography and documenting your adventures, your experiences, your hunts, your harvest, your misses, has it made you a better hunter or have your hunting instincts and your upbringing and your hunting knowledge and skill made you a better producer because you're producing through the hunter's eye or are you a better hunter because you've had to become more patient you see where i'm going yeah with no i
1: think i think the videoing myself has made me a better hunter for sure because you you absolutely have to think of everything like you can't it, you just can't mess up like the slightest little when you're setting up a tripod at 40 yards on a mule deer that you're going to get with your bow and you have to sneak in with a, with a bow and with a camera and with a tripod and you've got your release on and just the release tapping the tripod will send them running like you have to think of every move and it just makes you a better hunter and you you learn what you can get away with and what you can't and when to move and like it's just when i go out and i'm not filming it's almost like it's almost like if you had a hundred pound backpack on and you're like hiking up the mountain and then someone's like okay you can take your backpack off now and you just take it off and you're just wow i'm so light i can go so fast it's like that when I set the camera down, I feel like, man, I can hunt really well <laughs> like because it is such a handicap that when I'm not using it, I feel like, okay, I actually, because like sometimes when I have the camera, I'm like, man, I suck at this, but it's, it's because I have such a handicap of having that camera and then I get rid of it and I'm like, wow, this isn't, this is great. This is light and easy, but then I kind of crave that. Oh, but it was too easy. Now I need to take the camera. And
0: so it's a challenge. Yeah, so it now is you're, a challenge. So yeah. besides the point of sharing it in an ethical, tasteful manner, mm-hmm. it's a challenge to Remy Warren or or your partner in in, in solo hunters. It's a it, you're challenging yourself because you just said like without it, you're, it, it almost can be too easy without having to go through all those moves and that that entire um, you know the. the I guess it would be kind of like a game plan. Like you're a coach and you're like, I can't miss any of this. And you got a whiteboard and you're like, all right, well, I'm going into this canyon and I'm going to have my release next to a tripod and I got to get the camera here. And I got, you got to have your audio. You got to get your breathing down. You got to have everything that goes into it. So it's a challenge because my other question to you is why in the hell would you even do it then? If you're not making a ton of money doing it and it's not your living and you're making enough money guiding and outfitting and you're successful in all these different parts of your life, including outdoor riding and, and everything you do, Why, why would you ever want a camera to mess up a hunt or prevent you? And it's because it's a challenge.
1: Yeah, it's a challenge. And it's like, all right, it's something that not a lot of people do. And I think that that's kind of, but it's also something that anyone could do. I think that's the coolest part is like, all right. Like I've always liked, you know, capturing my hunts and it's like, well, not everybody has somebody that can film them. Like a lot of times I would go out and film my dad or my buddies, like before I ever did any of the TV stuff. But the self filming is something that anybody can do. It just you just have to really work up to it. Like it takes a lot of skill, and you know, and it's not easy. And I think a lot of people that try it, they're like, "Oh man, that's way harder than it looks." And that's like that's my goal. It's like make it look easy, you know. But it's it's gotta be. It has to be the hardest thing ever. I mean, it's it's, it's very difficult.
0: Yeah, don't don't make it sound like it's very like I know filming. I I've been around it for a lot of years never to that extent though like i don't go out and press the buttons and and do the hunt and do the calling and work the dog and do all the things and then i look at it and i'm like man these guys are pulling off something that's really spectacular and then everybody's well they got to be faking some of that right i mean you got to go back and fake most of it right i mean it can't be real time right i mean you got to be doing tons of cutaways and b-roll you can't be no, doing see, all that in real time right? no i mean mm-hmm. i'll
1: even i'll even do the stocks like live spine, just, like, set the camera. I'll stalk a deer three times, like, set the camera, crawl up, come back, grab the camera, crawl back in. I mean, I do that all the time. And it's just, like, because it's just, like, that's what I want to see, you know, and that's what I want to show. So that's just what I do. That's just me. Like, it's not. I'm not saying that that's what everybody has to do. That's just the way that I like to do it because I'm not good at, like, faking things. I'm just, like, that's just the way that I do it. Um, you know, now sometimes like when you edit it, it's like, well, I didn't get enough footage from this stock. So you like cut in something from another stock, but it's all, you know, it's all like pretty realistic. Do you you edit too? Um, no, I don't. I mean, I, I have, but no, not the show.
0: So your skills are hunting. Yeah. Average photographer or above average photographer? Uh,
1: I'd say like average photographer in above average situations
0: study studied photography
1: um yeah yeah i did videography and photography yeah
0: studied culinary art at all uh no do you wing your recipes yeah does this leads me into what i want i really want to talk about this with steven ranella launching the new meat eater um, cookbook he's successful at a lot of things that he does is he a good cook is he a chef? Is he just winging it? Is he pulling the wool over America's eyes of being able to make wild game? Or is he well-studied, and there's a lot that goes into his recipes? Or Because me, a lot of people are like, man, give me that recipe that you showed last night. I'm like, I, I really forgot what I put in it. It probably sounds dumb because a lot of people follow recipes. Is Stephen a good chef? Should I follow his recipes? And is that is it really something that is real is he a real person when he's putting out these recipes like follow this and you're going to get this out of it
1: yeah i think he he does essentially like that's i do what you do as well like he's just a real he's really good at cooking things and you almost like make like what i do is i make something and i'm like what did i do and then i write it down you know what i mean i think a lot of those recipes are like something that like turns out really good and you're like okay let's write this down and over years of doing that then you have a whole cookbook of things that are awesome. You know, like it's because you're a good cook.
0: Do you have the new one?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I do.
0: Is it awesome? Yeah, it's great. What's what, give me a standout recipe in it. Is mm-hmm. there something that comes to mind?
1: Let me think here. Um, I mean, a lot of people don't cook shanks very good and there's some really good shank recipes in there. I love shanks. Like that's give one me of the my, definition of a shank, like the lower below the hawk, like from the foot to the first joint. You know, so like the, I guess it be the lowest part of the legs. Um, and so like, you know, you got your osabuco. There's like a good recipe for that in there. Um, there's some other like slow-cooked shank recipes that are pretty good. And there's some stuff in there that you just don't try. Like, I, I'm not a real big like liver eater, but there's like a liver pate recipe that's pretty good in there. Um, some other good stuff.
0: So with these shanks, is, is there an is it elk? it doesn't
1: matter i mean i do it with deer or there's whatever, no way I mean. you could have a moose shank all right? I mean, oh yeah you could have anything yeah really oh yeah I, I feel like the shanks a lot of people just grind it up but i i mean it's the best thing you could slow cook and I, I actually like enjoy slow cooking stuff like braising and slow cooking or whatever so um that's that's some good stuff
0: are you using every part of the animal you kill remy
1: mostly yeah yeah i mean like i like i, I cook the tongue a lot like i think that's i think some of the best cuts on wild game are one you wouldn't think of like Tongues really good, like certain things, especially because game kind of dries out when you slow cook it, but there's certain cuts that don't, like tongues don't cut dry out when you slow cook it, like it gets better, um, shanks are another thing, it's like you can slow cook it and it's just awesome, um, What else is another cut that I like? I mean, I like to eat the heart. I don't like liver that much. I'm not a big liver eater. You like heart though, gizzard,
0: gizzards. uh, Oh yeah,
1: on birds, yeah, I like gizzards. Yeah. yeah.
0: So on on the slow cooking of the tongue, like you you think of the Basque recipe for a beef tongue. That's what I do with it. Yeah, with a red sauce and and, in some peppers and some garlic and stuff. Exactly. That's that's so
1: good. Like I do, like a one of the things that I, I do, like a game party every year, and one of the things everybody loves is like. I'll do like a tongue stew kind of thing, like a almost like tongue and gravy, and then put it on fries with like make poutine, like a fries and poutine. yeah, that's good. So how I do like I get tongue. an
0: invite to this? Because I'd really I want yeah. I to want, I want to try a, a wild game tongue stew, the the over the fries sounds awesome. Over like an egg noodle kind of kind of like a goulash yeah. or, or or something, or even that,
1: like like tongue tacos or I mean there's all kinds England. of ways to do it. yeah. Like I, when I'm guiding, I just take everybody. All the elk tongues, because most people are like, no, nah, I don't want the tongue. So I get like, I just keep everybody's elk tongues that we guide. So I'll have like a whole freezer full of elk tongues by the end of the year. when I can just make a bunch of stuff. Because you don't get a whole lot of meat out of them. But, um, you know, especially like deer tongues and stuff. I just save all the tongues from everything.
0: When you're processing a tongue, the mem- is there a membrane in a tongue?
1: Uh, no, I mean, the buds on the outside, like I, I kind of like skin it like a fish. So I take the top part, like the the outer part of the tongue off, and then it's just the meat. Just like you would at like a Basque, you know, like how the Basque restaurant does it. Like the tongue, you don't actually see like a lot of the the taste about a part that that I just, I skin that off.
0: Have you ever done any glands or any sweetbreads with a wild animal? No, I
1: haven't. I've thought about it, but it's just too hard to process all that stuff and you get so little.
0: Do you, en- do you enjoy sweetbreads? Oh yeah, oh, that's normally what I get. Does it make you hungry every time you think of sweetbreads? Like,
1: yeah,
0: when I when I anybody can mention them. We've done them out here on the Traeger. We've we've done them with like the cold smoke box, oh, and yeah. then put them in a cast iron with some you know some bell peppers and onions, and incredible. Like they're so freaking good. But every time I think about sweetbreads, people are like, "You eat the thymus gland of a cow," and I'm like, "Don't knock it until you try it." Kind of like your you and Stephen's yeah. approach on everything. I don't know if there's a better cut of meat on a cow than a freaking so sweet. Bread. Isn't it so good?
1: Oh yeah, but I mean, part of it's like the way it's cooked. It's like cooked in gravy and deep fried. It's yeah. just like so good.
0: It, I mean, it, it, but it just makes me so hungry thinking about them. But so your wild game feed, you're doing a lot of you're doing a lot of parts of the animal that a lot of people wouldn't. Um, does this wild game feed include? All like I, I think I I was with one of your boys last night and he told me to, to ask some questions about the Marchese effect and, and what that <laughs> is. And I know that you documented his desert ram hunt last year. He's married to my cousin. They just had little Louie. He 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 looks at you like a brother and he um probably supplies a lot of chucker to the game feed. I went to his chucker feed last year, I saw you at it. It's weird how many times our our, our paths have crossed to where we're kind of like Hey, I want to go talk to Remy. And I always know that we'll have a lot in common, but it's kind of like, it's almost to the mindset to where I don't, I don't know if I want to walk up to you and be like, Hey man, what's going on? How's, how's, how's everything going with the, so I don't, you know, you want to get to know somebody first before you approach them, but you know mike's always told me man y'all would hit it off y'all would get along fine and that's why i really wanted to sit down with you and talk because i really think that a lot of your messaging is dead on to what i want to do or what i want to present and even though it's completely different ends of the hunting spectrum i mean you're solo hunting at thirteen thousand feet for a stone sheep and i'm hunting ducks in the flooded timber of arkansas but at the end of the day that whole code of ethics and that whole policing each other and everything is it's really like the common denominator in in my approach to it and even though I think a lot of the things that I've not a lot of the things but maybe the things that I did 10 years ago like you said might not necessarily be what I do now Um, there's a reason in my opinion that everything happens in life and those those choices you do or those actions you take get you to where you are today they could hinder you they could promote you they could elevate you Um, but I think that hearing you know Mike talk about you And knowing that we would have something in common is really why I wanted to sit down. And when you start talking, it really is. It's not like an interview. It's more, hey, man, Remy's got a lot of good points that I want to get out on on my platform to where my audience and my followers hear hear it. And when he was talking about the Marchese effect like that, I'm like, well, I don't want to just start off with the Marchese effect. And he's like, well, you got to ask him about this. And he's texting me. He's like, you got to ask him about the Marchese effect and, and, and some of these questions. But I want, I really wanted to dive in and venture into the things that we talked about without going, Hey man, I know, you know, Joe Rogan, man, I know, you know, Steven Rinella. It's like, those are just dudes. They're just, they just have a, he's got a gift for comedy. He's got a gift for podcasting. He's got a gift for commentating the UFC. Joe Rogan's just a dude and you've been around him enough to know that. So you probably get that a lot. Like, Hey man, how's it, how is it being around Steven? And I think Steven's just probably a normal dude that's well-versed and well-written and well-studied that is, he's a smart guy and he loves hunting. He's got a good voice in it, and his approach has worked. And I think your approach is working. And so I guess with that being said, I don't think that I would be doing my family justice without asking you what the marchese effect is and if am i saying that right
1: yeah the marchese what is the marchese i don't want to put
0: you on the spot but i told him that i would do it and and i think that it, it, it has something to do with your guys's hunts or your past um, is it something that is relevant or is Mike just off his rocker last night?
1: Yeah, no, the Marchese effect is when my buddy Mike goes out hunting, pretty much everything gets shot <laughs> everything and then, is. and then there's nothing left to hunt later on. You know, that's, a, he, he just goes into the area and just blows it out. He does. <laughs> yeah. So in a good way? In a good way. Yeah. No, he's, he's just extremely efficient. And so he finds stuff and he'll find the, if there's a big animal in that area, he'll find it, whether it's luck or whatever, it might, you know, might take a, a practice shot at the animal, but he'll end up getting it. It doesn't really matter. Like that's, that's the Marchese effect right there. <laughs> We've all shot. got friends like that. that just get it done. Like for some reason, somehow, <laughs> like you don't know how it happens, but it just happens.
0: And were you, were you in a way responsible for introducing me to my cousin? Were you guys kind of, oh, yeah. did you know them both before they knew each yeah, other? Yeah,
1: I knew them both. Um, I was, yeah. Cause through NBU, I knew Christy and I was like, Oh man, Mike, we, I know this, this actually she sent, uh, I was a editor of a magazine a while back and she sent in an article and I was like, oh, well, this girl's from Nevada. I was like, and Mike was living with me at the time. I was like, Oh man, you sh- we should hook you up with her. And he's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, and he's pretty timid about it. And then we kept trying and kept trying and, after one failed attempt, uh, yeah, I ended up like getting them together. is awesome. And look, it's great now they got a family and everything. It's awesome.
0: They bought a new, ho- uh, yeah. A new house. Yeah, he's with Uncle Mel all the time. Yeah, you know, I'm Uncle Mel, it's perfect. He's like the the the. That's a perfect situation for him to be in because, I you know, Uncle Mel didn't have sons. He had Amanda and Christy, and now he's got Mike around, and and it's a perfect, a perfect situation. But one of the things I was talking to Mike about one of the first things that I heard of you outside of hunting was the incident that happened in Winnemucca a a couple years ago and I don't know how much you like to talk about it and and what it was a friend a female friend that was deemed lost or missing and you you were not called that search and rescue was called tell me a little bit about the story I remember Bubba telling me about it a bunch like yeah, man, Remy went up to window to look for this girl. And I'm like, what? And it was a friend of yours that you grew up with that you just got wind that didn't come back home one night or something?
1: No, it was, it was my ex-girlfriend at the time. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I went out there. I ended up finding her and saving her. And now she's my wife. So, yeah. What? Yeah, it was pretty cool.
0: So she goes on an adventure and gets lost in the mountains. Yeah. And you kind of just had your instincts, like you hunt these animals. You kind of knew where she might be, or you had a whim.
1: Yeah. I mean, I went up there and kind of just like, you know, let them show me where they'd looked. And I just kind of was like, well, I'm just going to go way up here and ended up finding her in the middle of the night. Um, yeah, saved her. And then we brought her back. Um, yeah, now, now we're married.
0: Uh, So you, you, uh. Were broken up at the time. You yeah. guys weren't together. Correct. Yeah. You had been broke. You were dating, and then you broke up, and then you go up and save her, and then you rekindle this romance yeah, exactly. of love through yeah. through this badass hunter that just goes and hunts down this lost girl. Yeah. And you, and, and now she travels the world with you.
1: Yeah. It's pretty cool, huh? It's cool that,
0: there could be a little movie written. About yeah. Exactly. This, right? So yeah. what you you've had a pretty blessed life. You've built a blessed life. You none of this comes through anything except hard work and vision. And I give you a lot of respect for that, like what you've built and what you have. You get to hunt a lot of places. You get to hunt with a lot of cool people. You get to document a lot of cool stories. Oh, thanks. It's, New Zealand's a cool place. It's a destination. But does it compare to Montana? Does it compare to being in the mountains of Nevada? I know everywhere's different. Yeah. But everybody's like, man, Remy's hunted everywhere. New Zealand's got to be the best place. And I'm not assuming that it's not, and I'm not assuming that it is, but... Is there a favorite? Is there one that you would pick out? If somebody said, Remy, you have one hunt to go on. Mm-hmm. You're going, you're done after this. You yep. have one you get to do again. Who? Where would it be and who would it be with and would it be by yourself?
1: Man, that's a tough question because there's a lot of places that I really like. I, and I think more than the place, it's like the type of hunting. Like I just really enjoy like mountain hunting. So that's why New Zealand's just so cool to me because you get to go on these epic mountain hunts just every day. Like there's just... You know, you, there's no tags. It's just a lot of crazy, cool mountains to hunt in. It's pretty wide open. So it's like, it's almost like drawing a doll sheep tag. It's like, if you can go doll sheep hunting all the time, it's like, yeah, I'd do it. Um, but so like, you know, New Zealand, Alaska, and even Nevada, like you just, you, it's hard to get away from the stuff you grew up doing. Like Chasing mule deer with a bow is really hard to get away from, especially in the open country in Nevada. Like, I just love that. Um, so it'd be something along those lines. Like I just couldn't pick, but I do like hunting in New Zealand, something that I'm extremely passionate about. I love it over there. Like I've been going over there now for, I don't even know, um, a long time. Well, not that long, but seven to 10 years, somewhere in there. Didn't but,
0: you get married over there? Yeah. yeah Why? There. Why did you choose New um,
1: Zealand? I don't, you know, it's just one of those places. It's like very, I mean, I've spent a lot of my life over there actually. Um, it's very it's just one of those places that, like, means a lot to me. We spend a lot of time over there. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, like, and it was cool to be able to take your friends and family that hadn't had an opportunity to go over there. And like, I've spent, you know, a, lot, a, a good portion of my adult life, at least for part of the year, over there. So it's, like, cool to be able to share that with, you know, people that I'm closest to that hadn't had the opportunity to go over there. So I was like, that's not a perfect excuse, and it's just it's awesome.
0: Is the food good over there? Uh, it's i've like, heard mixed
1: yeah i mean it depends what kind of food you like like it's it's very english type food so like pies and that kind of stuff it's pretty good <laughs> like not the best for you but there's so much like physical activity around that it doesn't really matter and then yeah like the the restaurants and stuff are really good and just like fresh food like a lot of a lot of people eat um you know game meat uh red deer venison from fallow deer red deer whatever like it's served in restaurants it's all over the place as far as big game goes
0: though new zealand besides um i know that they're you know have the fishing and they have some waterfowl hunting but they're really known for their world-class stag right is that what is that what most americans would go to new zealand to hunt
1: yeah i think most yeah most people probably go there for the red deer or the red stag but like, a lot of the big... Those big ones are all, like, high-fence stuff. Like, I'm not really into that, personally. So, Oh, they are high-fence. Yeah, yeah, all the big ones are. Um, like, the, the free-range red stag is really fun hunting, but, like, red deer is not, like, not traditionally that big. Like, you wouldn't see that type of antler growth on that actual animal, but it's just through genetics and all that other garbage, like, feeding and programs and stuff like that that they get mm-hmm. so big. So um for me i love like the tar hunting and the chamois hunting um i like red deer hunting just like public land red deer hunting but you would it'd be like a raghorn type elk would be like a nice one um fowler deer hunting's awesome like i've got a friend that's got a pretty good place to hunt uh, it's private but they're all like free range and there's some big bucks there it's pretty cool pretty big stags
0: with all these with all these um big mountain hunts these big hikes i saw something you were doing uh 50,000 mile hiking adventure with a bunch of different people you guys were going to accumulate 50,000 miles of hiking if I read it right is that is that right uh I think, I think it was for charity or something oh um, yeah
1: that was like the hike to hunt thing hike to hunt so yeah.
0: with all of these big monumental hunts I call them, because duck hunting it could be tiresome it could be drudging through mud it could be a lot of equipment you know a lot of equipment heavy hunts but walking with a heavy pack and carrying a gun and carrying a tripod with a camera on it, it's not light, it's not easy task. Are you committed to fitness? Are you in the gym? Are you on treadmills with packs? Or do you do all of your training in the mountains? Is, is it preseason training, hikes, or do you lift weights? Do you watch what you eat? Do you, you say that you go to New Zealand, it's a lot of, uh, of English kind of food with pies and stuff like that. Are you watching your carb intake? Um, how do you how do you prepare, or is it more mental to you? And you're just kind of you're just kind of built the way you are, and that's the way it's going to be. Yeah,
1: I think a lot of it's just like I do it all the time. So you just like you go out, you hike. Yeah, I mean the best way to build up for it's to do it. But then if if for some reason I don't have the opportunity, like if I'm spending a lot of time at home or whatever, then I'll definitely run and and work out. But all those workouts never actually equate to. Like, when you put a pack on, you hike from sun up till dark. Like, you just cannot replicate that outside of doing that. But I do it enough where I just keep staying in shape for it. Um, But if I get out of shape for it, then, yeah, I do a lot more, like, gym-type stuff. And, um, like, when I'm at home or whatever, I'll run or do, like, I mean, you kind of have to keep up on it a little bit. And I'll watch what I eat when I'm at home. When I'm, like, out, whatever. I mean, like, during the guiding season, I can just eat anything i want it wouldn't matter like i just try to keep weight on because you're just hiking all day long you're carrying a bunch of stuff like you just you're just physically beat every single day so you just don't even have to think about it you just like you know it's just like hard
0: work so are you are you filming your clients hunts too or would that be they won't want that or you're just a pain in the ass you got to give all of your focus on finding an animal for them to harvest yeah
1: exactly it's like it's hard enough just uh yeah make it happen like sometimes I'll just film it just for fun for them through now I just use my phone most of the time through like a spotting scope using like a phone scope type adapter Um, but now for for the most part I don't film any of that stuff I did do uh an an Under Armour film where they kind of followed me around guiding but it was somebody that I like went in with knowing that it was going to be filmed I didn't just like take one of my normal clients and film
0: them is there i appreciate you sitting now man i just got a couple i just got no, yeah, a couple no thoughts is there is there something that, that is there nuances is there is there like something that you have to do to get ready for a hunt is there something that has become tradition to you I can't, the words escape me right now, but you know, something that you have that that, that weird tendencies that, that Remy Warren has when he goes on a hunt, do you tie your boots the same every time? Do you wear the same clothes every time? Do you not change your underwear for a week because they're lucky? Is there anything that you, or is, it, is Remy Warren just a guy that, that relies on his instincts and what he's achieved in the mountains to do it? Or what is the word I'm looking for? Yeah, no. To where like a, a baseball hitter always does the same thing before, nah, he, before I just, he
1: hunts? Nah, I just go out and just give it a rip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just, Ooh, nice little baseball yeah. term there. Is, there. is there music that, I mean, is, is there a preference in, is it, are you a country music guy? Are you an 80s rock hair band guy? Are you a, a classical guy? Are you a hip-hop rap guy? Is something going to throw me off? Like, really? Or, or does music even play a role in your life at all?
1: Uh, no, I mean, I'll, I listen to everything. We do have, a, like, amongst my friends, we have kind of like this thing that uh, we call it, like, the, if, you, if, you're, if you're just going on a hunt, and uh, Cashmere by Led Zeppelin comes on, then you know you're going to be successful. <laughs> like, it's just... A, so
0: you can't play
1: it? You can't play it. It's got to come on the radio. It's got to come on the radio. Or, so or like, Pandora or something. Yeah, it has to just be kind of natural. But sometimes, you know, you might send it to a friend to give him a little bit of help. But that came about because um, I used to use that as the... When I first started my business, that was like the background song when the the webpage came up. It was Cashmere, and I had like um, the... ASCAP yeah Yeah. (laughs) they shut you down uh no that no it was none of that it was was just on my own site before any of that was around um but uh then like the biggest deer I ever got when I was uh, I was driving there I think I was like beforehand or after I talked to my buddy Mike it was like oh man cashmere came on the radio right when I parked my truck and then that day I shot the biggest deer in my life with my bow and like my buddy Mike heard it on the radio that day when he was driving to work and texting me. He's like, Cashmere was on the radio. I think it's gonna be a lucky day. And from that from then on, it was just like if that song, if you heard that song, it was just a, a good omen. <laughs> There's
0: a little Led Zeppelin. I, yeah. I I think I might try it then. But I I you know, you talk about I wanted to go into UFC a little bit because of your relationship with Joe. And we have a I think a mutual friend. Are you buddies with Mendez? Do you uh, know Chad? Yeah, I know him, yeah. You know he's fighting tonight. You know he's on the card tonight. I, you, I didn't you,
1: know. I forgot it was today. But yeah, are you going to watch that. the fight tonight? Uh, maybe. I do you am follow now, yeah. the UFC? A little bit. A little yeah. bit.
0: This whole John Jones controversy. Do you have a pick tonight in the John Jones Gustafson fight? No. But you're on the you're on this show right now. I, let's do a little video when we're done here of just wishing Mendez good luck tonight. Yes, and we'll send it to him. He's a stud, dude. I mean, you talk about a guy that like you. I've been around Hendo and some of these fighters, and they're, they're in, in their in their you know, in their areas like Vegas or you go into a certain situation with these guys, they're big time celebrities and they're so down to earth. And I love the way that, you know, that, that Hendo or Chad Mendez and, and a lot of these fighters promote our lifestyle and and kind of mix the two. And I think Rogan's done a good job of that. But um, Mendez is one of those guys to where he's like a little kid in a candy store when it comes to hunting. There's there's no brat. He did kill a really good goat this year. I don't know if you saw that. I, th- I don't know if it was Oregon or.
1: Yeah, I think Cal- no, it's California. It's only oh, California. It? Oh, cool. Kill like an
0: eighty-six or an eighty-seven inch goat. That's I didn't even know antelope grew that big in California, but I guess you could assume they would in the same kind of terrain that a lot of Nevada is. But when you're around that guy, you just want you just can't help but like him and, and, and feed off of his energy and his optimism. And I think that that's why he's successful. Of uh, and that's why I wanted to bring him up tonight because I know that he's. I've talked to you about or I talked about you with him. So I kind of assume that y'all were. Yeah, in yeah I've hung
1: out with him, in a lot of, you know, you, you go to these, like, shows and other things, and you just, like, keep running into people, and it's like, oh, yeah, and it just clicks, like, he's just a real down-to-earth, real awesome guy, like, real humble, real, just, like, yeah, good guy.
0: Yeah, I think he is, too, so we'll do, I, I, I do want to send video, but man, I appreciate you sitting down, I'd like to do it again, but I think we should try to do a crossover hunt to where I want to go on one of these mountainous hunts, got to get in way better shape to do it, I don't assume that I could do it, I've done them, but I want to do that and I want, let's go duck hunting. I want to, yeah. you know, call some ducks with you and get, get back to what you used to love to do. Maybe we can go chase some chucker with Bubba one day. He's Bubba Henderson's a pretty cool cat. No, oh, yeah. He's one of the good dudes. Like he's, he, he's the one that set this up. And, but man, uh, last thing is if a kid comes up to Remy Warren or sends you a private message and he says, man, I love what you do. Is there any advice that you can give me? And you don't have to be long winded about it. What's the first thing that you tell somebody to get into this lifestyle, this industry, this way of life of making a living by getting to go out and hunt and, and do it? Is there a right answer? There's probably not. But what's the first thing that comes to mind if, I, if I'm if a 15-year-old kid that says, Remy, how do I do what you do?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. my My thing is just I tell people, I mean, I only know the way that I did it. And it was just through hard work and not really giving yourself any other options you know, I think a lot of people are like, oh man, I'd really like to do that. What's the easiest way to do it? I was like, I don't know the easiest way, you know, like I really like, I started guiding at a pretty young age. Like I just, I, I worked my ass off for the people that I worked for. Like I wanted to be the best guide that there was and nobody was watching. You know what I mean? Like I was just trying to be the best for the people that I was guiding. And um you know I worked for a magazine for a while pretty much full-time for no money and I just I just put in a lot of hours and a lot of hard work and I feel like that's a pretty good way to go about it if you put in the time make it work for yourself then it will
0: I liked what you said right there that do right and work hard when nobody's looking yeah because that's the test is like Man, he, my coach isn't watching me right now. I could take a breather. I could get a water break real quick. My yeah. trainer's not watching me right now. I'm going to stop doing pull ups for five seconds. You're never getting away with it. No, nah. you, you got you got to police yourself. You got to. I'm not saying that you're not going to get tired and give out once in a while, but do right and work hard even when you're not getting the attention or when nobody's looking. That's a great piece of advice.
1: Yeah, I mean, my thing is like even even if you're doing something that's not that, be the best at it. Like, just get good at, at being the best at anything you that you're doing at that moment, like really devote yourself to something and, uh, you know, really give yourself no other options than to be good at it. Um, I think that goes a long ways, you know, like my th- my whole thought when I was just working for people for pretty much nothing, it's like, I'm just going to have the best resume for it. When I was 22 years old, I had a killer resume of as far as like things that I'd done. And I just put in a lot of time and worked really hard and nobody else had that resume. Like I, you know, I was a, a young guy that was pretty much managing a magazine, you know, and I did it because I literally was like, all right, I'm just going to not stop working and I'm not going to take a paycheck and I'm just going to be the best employee here and not even get paid. And, you know, it, it In the long run, like, it got me other jobs and other things because I could just put that on the resume and be like, look what I've done. I was like, who else has done that?
0: Would it be safe to say that even though you were just an employee, you say you were quote-unquote running, the magazine, but you weren't the owner of it, but you took ownership in it oh, and yeah? you, and you weren't to, went to work every day. Like your, your livelihood depended on the content and the, in the passion that was going to come out of what you were writing, the photos that were going into it, the layout of it, the design of it. Like you took a lot of pride in that, even though you weren't the owner or the founder, you had ownership. And I think that that's a, a, a great attribute to have or to tell somebody is if you're not the owner, you want to get involved in something and you are going to go to work or an internship or do what you do at 22 years old, you got to build that portfolio. you got to build that resume. Take ownership in the things that you're doing. Become proficient. Become the best at them. And then when it's go time and somebody opens a door for you, you're yeah. going to be ready. And I think that things that in life people have to really evaluate is it might not be the funnest. It might not be the best opportunity. I might be exhausted. I don't feel like doing this, but you got to go. you got to keep doing it. you got to keep driving. And doors are going to open. And that's what I tell people all the time is they're like, man, I won the, I won the California state duck calling contest five times and I've killed a limit of mallards 30 days in a row. And I'm like, I get that. And that's good. I, I appreciate that part of it, but there's a lot more that goes into what Remy Warren has achieved than just being a good big game hunter it's being a good person it's being a good leader it's being a good mentor it's being a good uncle it's being a good friend whatever it is and then you have a good network you have good relationships you have credibility you have respect you have trust and then people like joe rogan go hey remy come here or Stephen real goes hey let's go do this remy goes hey man let's go do this because you know it opened up some doors for you and and that's what i try to tell a lot of the people that ask me that question is Build that network, build that resume, build that portfolio to where somebody can't say no to you.
1: Yeah, you know, exactly. you, they want
0: you around because they know they're going to get results. They know they're going to get that work ethic and that drive every single day. And, and, and it's, it's refreshing to be around people like that, that motivate you and inspire you. So with that being said, has there been an inspiration? Was it Pops? I saw some really cool pictures of you and your brothers and your dad. You had two brothers and your dad, right? Yep, yep. And, he, and he brought you on a ton of hunts. Yeah. Just like my dad did. Oh yeah. And that's everything. Like that's, that's when, when you are putting a stock on a sheep and you got three boys with you, it's a lot different than doing it with, by yourself. Exactly. And that's, would that be your inspiration? Is oh for yeah, your dad? for
1: sure. Yeah. He, he definitely, you know, instilled that in us and was like, all right, you know, and, and just the idea of like, if you want something, just go chase it, you know, go after it. So, I mean, that's, that's been huge in my life for sure.
0: So your dad, your brothers, your friends—the yeah. Marchese effect.
1: Marchese effect s- for sure.
0: Saving people's lives—not once, but twice. We didn't even get into that. Let's do this again, Remy Warren. You've you've done a lot. Like you've 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 accomplished a lot. You're 33. Yep. 33 years old. You 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 do things to where I think it's going to com- continue to elevate you as well as inspire others. And I think that that's a good thing. I think that sitting down with you inspires me. It enlightens me because I don't. I'm getting to the point in my life to where assumptions really do bite me in the ass way more now than they did when I was 18. I want my actions to speak louder than they ever have now. I want to get to know people on different levels. I want to be able to reach out to you and say, Hey man, let's go, let's go have a beer and let's talk about, I got, I want to run something by you. And I think that if you really drop your guard and you you, you drop your defense, your defense all the time of like, man, I'm, you know, I'm intimidated to go talk to somebody like that. Just walk up and say, Hey man, let's, you know, I, I appreciate what you do. Your messaging is good. And I think that social media and instant messaging and and the self-gratification and instant gratification has got us away from doing things like this, of being able to sit down and have an eye-to-eye conversation, whether it's at a podcast or whether it's at a sports bar. I think that eye-to-eye conversation and that interaction is so important. And and to be able to do it is, is good for me because it keeps me going because it, it it breaks down those barriers that I think naturally evolve or naturally let themselves build up because of our inability to communicate or to sit down with somebody and look at them across the table and shake their hand and say, Hey man, we're all in this together. We're all in the same reason. You might yeah. be a little bit more successful than me, but I would I want to use that as something to learn from. And I think that that's why I did it. I, 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 or, or, or continue to sit down with people because I'm like, Man, I'm enlightened. It enlightens me on a lot of different levels. And to know what you do and we haven't even really got into a lot of the details. I don't want to ask you a lot of the Remy Warren secrets and I don't even know if there are secrets, but you're successful for a reason. So good for you. Yeah, thanks, man. And I appreciate it. You got any closing words at all?
1: No, it's uh it's been good. And yeah, we we definitely got to get out and do some duck hunting or something like that. That's that's I cut my teeth on duck hunting. Like that's where I started. Like I I was so obsessed with duck hunting growing up. It's just unbelievable. So be fun to get out with you and uh and go get out in the field I, I love that just hunting with new people and uh nah, it's been fun so appreciate it thanks for having me and appreciate nah, i appreciate you being here
0: and do you have any words for mike and christy as they get further into this uh thing they call love little louie which is an awesome name do you i mean louie yeah. is i mean that's a, just a cool name but do you do you look at your friendships with them as hey look at I, I put this together. I wanna to see it work out and are you proud of that big time?
1: Oh yeah, I'm I'm big time proud of that. And old Louie got his first gun this year, so my dad got him a little twenty two, so he's he's not even what, seven weeks old and he's already got a gun. Like he's he's in a good position uh to be a, a, a hunter in the future. And hopefully he takes to it. I couldn't see him not, you know. Oh, he will.
0: Yeah. And I and I, I love I, I'm so happy for my cousin Christy. That she found Marchese. so I got to tell you thanks for doing it because it's it's you know just put a new just a huge amount of energy and passion in her, and I see it in him too. He loves her so much. He sat on my couch last night, and I'm like, Mike, Mike, come in here and hang with the dudes for a minute, man. He's like, man, I'm just making sure you know she's tired, and Louie's here, and and he's just he's awesome. He's a great dude, and he speaks highly of you. So it's it's good that you did that.
1: Yeah, so I cool. appreciate
0: that. Let's just say let's end it with saying Chad Mendez. he's fighting a Russian tonight. I don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name, but I love Mendez. Good luck to him. I can't wait to uh, hopefully get a call from him later on tonight with the victory dance, and congratulations to you, Remy, on a great career. I wish you continued success. Thank you for being here at the podcast, and uh, let's do it again.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Thanks, man.
0: All right, brother, Appreciate thank it. you. Tom, Rashishin, please play that song, Leith Lofton, this what you going to do when the money's all gone? This is Chad Belding for another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. My guest, special guest, Remy Warren, thank him so much. Look him up, Instagram, his website. He is a great voice in hunting. He is a hell of a writer. He's well-thought, well-versed, and uh, just study what he's done and try to do that because it's a great approach on life, a great vision. This Life Ain't For Everybody, Chad Belding, thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to everybody that tunes in every every episode. Appreciate it, Tom. What you going to do when the money's all gone? What you going to do
1: when the money's all gone?